Grandpa's Best Friend from Mythology Loves Horror. The hunting cabin was just as I remembered it. It was tiny, hardly bigger than a tool shed, and after a year of neglect, dust now coated every surface. I hadn't been there in almost ten years, not since the last time I went hunting with my grandfather Sebastian. I'd been so terrified by the thing we saw in the woods there that I hadn't wanted to return, and my parents just assumed I was too bored to want to spend two weeks with a boring old man. But Gramps still came to visit us. Thankfully, we never went there. When Gramps passed away a year ago, he left the cabin and the thirty acres surrounding it to his only remaining grandchild, at twenty years old, I had never expected to set foot on the rural mountainside again, much less inherit it, but a bad breakup had left me with the decision of moving into the cabin or into my parents' basement. The choice had almost been hard to make. The local newspaper, the Village Times, had claimed that Gramps died of a bear attack while out chopping firewood behind his cabin. I didn't really buy that story, though. And even as I pulled my beat-up old Ford into the unpaved driveway, I had my hand on my rifle. Though if that thing came back, I was sure it wouldn't do much to it. But still, it made me feel better. I hadn't seen it in a decade, but if that creature was still out there, I would be prepared this time. At least I hoped. Several hours later, I was unpacked, and the cabin was decently clean. All of the utilities were still hooked up, and the refrigerator was well-stocked. I had taken the week off of work to adjust to my new life, and I was planning on just relaxing for the next few days. My first night and day passed uneventfully, but by the second night, things were getting a little weird. I had spent enough time in the country as a child to be familiar with the wildlife here, Raccoons, skunks, bears, other mammals. But the freshly made claw marks on the side of the cabin, they weren't anything that I recognized. I woke up on my third morning to gouges in the wood, and I was definitely unnerved. They were too large to belong to any small critters, and far too high up to be from coyotes. They were even too wide to be a mountain lion or bear. In this neck of the woods, that ruled out everything logical. As I studied the claw marks, I wondered how I could have slept through them being made. They definitely hadn't been there when I first arrived, and the fresh marks stood out in a bright contrast to the weathered wood of the cabin walls. I supposed a human could have made them with a knife, but I didn't have neighbors for miles. Who would be skulking around out here just to prank me like this? It didn't make any sense. It crossed my mind that maybe my ex might have done it, just to freak me out. But Sandra lived almost fifty miles away and did not have the address for the cabin in the first place. I don't use social media enough to bother listing my new address, and we didn't have friends in common or anything like that. I eventually shrugged it off, deciding to let it go. I knew that worrying about it wouldn't help. That afternoon, though, I found myself driving the ten miles into town and buying some motion-activated floodlights and a motion-sensing camera. 
Two more nights passed, and each morning, I woke up to the claw marks getting closer and closer to the cabin door. As much as I wanted to believe it was a prank, I had to admit to myself that the evidence was overwhelmingly against that idea. The floodlights would turn on, and the camera would snap, yet somehow, all I would ever see in the photos was an empty yard. I had even tried to set up a video on my phone, but all it managed to capture was a vague blur of movement at the edge of the screen. I had enough. On the fifth night, I went outside, rifle in hand, settling comfortably on the porch steps. There was no noise, no sound to indicate that the usual nocturnal critters were up and about. I shut all the lights off and waited for the creature that I knew would come. Hours passed, and as 1 a.m. rolled around, I snapped myself out of a doze. I could hear something moving quietly out by the edge of the woods, where I could make out a figure skulking about, its features hidden in the shadows. As the animal drew closer, I rubbed my eyes in disbelief, because there stood Sebastian, my supposedly dead grandpa. He wasn't wearing any clothes. He paused mid-step, his head slowly turning to face me, probably hearing me gasp from shock. Grandpa looked sickly, with skin pale and ribs visible. He was bald now, his once Santa-like beard and hair gone. Grandpa? I called out. I could hear the quiver in my own voice, and my hands were shaking from terror. The rifle had fallen to my lap, nearly forgotten in the intensity of seeing my presumably dead grandfather. I'd been so convinced that what I was about to see would be that antlered creature that I saw years ago, the one I knew killed Sebastian, but I never considered once that my grandpa was still alive. Grandpa, what are you doing? C come inside. Tears were streaming down my cheeks. I didn't care what my grandfather had been doing this whole time or why he was out there. All I cared about was that he was still alive. I wanted to hug him again. Run. Run, you stupid boy. It's coming. His voice barely sounded human anymore. His voice came out all wrong, and before I could respond, Grandpa was bounding into the woods on all fours. He was gone in the blink of an eye, the bushes hardly swaying where he had passed through. The woods remained as eerily silent as they had been before, even though my grandfather's retreat should have made a large amount of noise. Not a second later, a low growl came from behind me, the sound reverberating off the cabin walls. A massive creature, the one that I remembered, approached from the side of the cabin. Within seconds, it became clear to me that it wasn't a human or an animal, unless someone was wearing an amazing and terrifying costume. The creature was every bit as surreal as I remembered. Long, pale limbs sprouted from an emaciated torso. An ivory deer skull shined in what little moonlight managed to bleed out through the clouds. It was wearing ragged old buckskin leggings and had beads around its neck. I could not see its eyes, though, but I knew without a doubt that if it had any, it was staring directly at me. 
I knew not whether it was a wendigo or a skinwalker or something else, but it didn't matter. It was here. Before I could take in any more detail, the creature began to laugh, a guttural sound that echoed in my head hauntingly. It was laughing so hard at me that it nearly doubled over. I realized that its limbs were able to wrap around its body almost twice. I raised my rifle, firing several times at it point-blank, all of those rounds lodging firmly into the creature's neck and torso. The being looked down at its new piercings. Then, without a problem, almost comfortably, it began to dig out the bullets at an unhurried pace. It dropped them onto the ground like a child plucking flower petals, and it seemed to sigh in irritation as it dug out the final one. It just spoke. What was going on? What did this thing want? Did Grandpa always know about this horrendous-looking thing? My head began to ache with the strain of trying to understand all this. It seemed to sigh as if annoyed by the bullets. It then lifted its claw and pointed it at the cabin. Inside. Go. I was all I could get out in reply to this thing speaking to me. I blinked profusely, and the next thing I knew the monster was gone, and standing there was Rufus, my grandpa Sebastian's best friend. Rufus had been around as long as I could remember, and had always been a kind old man. He supposedly lived on the other side of the mountain, even though I'd never actually seen his house, let alone been to it. Rufus just always sort of appeared out of nowhere, often startling us so badly that we had almost shot him a few times. What in tarnation you doing out here, whippersnapper? Rufus? Am I dreaming? <laughs> no, no, you're not dreaming. But you need to get inside before that thing comes back. That thing that looks like your grandpappy. I was shaking so tremendously from fear that I could barely move my limbs at the time. But I managed to navigate the steps. I'm not entirely sure why I obeyed Rufus after seeing that thing. But after seeing Rufus's familiar face, there was something calming about it making this insane situation more easily dealt with. I needed some semblance of normalcy in that moment, so I went about my usual pre-bed routine, ignoring the fact that nothing made sense anymore. Mindlessly, I made sure all the windows and doors were locked. I took a long, hot shower to relax myself. I crawled into bed, my adrenaline finally calming down. I think I was in shock. I noticed I was repeatedly reassuring myself that I would wake up and everything would be as it should be. Just writing this down was hard enough. I have no idea, no ounce of understanding for what went on that night at the cabin. I'm more confused than I ever thought possible. 
Who really was Rufus? And what was that thing that looked like my grandpa? The Island in the Lake From Names James 0933 Rachel, my fiancé, and I were on hour 17 into our drive to her family's cabin in northern Minnesota for a small vacation. I glanced at her with heavy eyelids to see that she was fast asleep in the passenger seat. The last two hours of the trip were spent through desolate back roads in towns that consisted of a hundred people and a lone stoplight. I could feel myself immersing into the solitude as the roads began to be labeled by numbers instead of names. Finally, I turned onto the long stretch of road that winded through the forest and led to our destination, the cabin. Siri let me know there was two miles left. Then everything went back to silence. The car slowly trudged over the underdeveloped road as large chunks of gravel crunched and tumbled beneath the wheels, while towering pine trees loomed above us, blocking out any stars. We arrived, and I was so exhausted that I considered just sleeping right there in the driveway. I'd never been to this cabin before, but upon first glance it was quite cozy. It's not one of those decked-out cabins that rich people buy, but it had three bedrooms and set just offshore to a small 1,100-acre lake. We quickly unloaded everything and collapsed onto a bed that smelled older than time. Though we were completely beat, we were excited to spend some time away from it all. The sun lit up our room early the next morning, and I was filled with a huge sense of relief when, out of routine, I checked my phone to see that there was no service. Nobody could bother us, even if they tried. Rachel offered to drive to the nearest town to get some groceries, so I could settle in and check out the cabin myself. I rifled through hundreds of dusty books that sat on the shelves in the living room. Then I pulled out a dozen board games as I excitedly planned out our time ahead. I made my way outside and onto the dock that stretched out into the lake. A small boat lightly rocked in the water, and the dock creaked and groaned underneath my feet. I stared out at the lake and finally felt the last of my anxiety dissipate. As the drive to town was around half an hour, I figured I would set out on the lake to do some fishing. A small island caught my eye that sat close to the middle of the water. It was maybe a hundred yards in diameter and was filled with dense trees and shrubs. Something about it drew me toward it. I can't really describe it, but it's like it slowly sucked me in. The island had an almost eerie glow about it, like it wasn't really in the same world as ours. I anchored maybe fifty feet from the shore and started casting. It wasn't thirty seconds after that I felt something hit my boat. I had nearly had whatever was on the line up to the boat. It must have gotten off the hook, I thought, hit the boat before swimming away. When I reached out to reapply the bait, I saw a fish dangling off the end of the line still. An uneasy feeling washed over me when I saw that it was completely mangled. It was nearly ripped in half with tears all along what was left of its body. My first thought was that a bigger fish must have jumped on it, but I didn't feel any sort of struggle that would indicate such. Maybe an otter, I thought, but again, I didn't feel a struggle when I reeled it in. I tried to ignore this and moved on to the opposite side of the island, 
resuming my fishing. But again, the next thing I hooked suddenly stopped fighting. I pulled up another shredded fish carcass. This happened a few more times, as I was just curious at this point as to what was happening. I looked toward the island and felt such dread, like the island itself had eyes and was staring me down. I slowly rode myself away to another spot closer to the cabin and started to catch some actually intact fish, all the while taking brief glances at that island. After hauling in a decent-sized bass, I heard Rachel pull into the driveway, so I decided to make my way back and try to forget about this experience. Over dinner, I casually brought up the island to Rachel. So I saw there was this island in the middle of the lake. Have you ever been to it? I asked. Oh, that? Nah, my dad always just told us to not go over there. He said the land is still owned by the family of some woman who used to live there. She responded. Wait, someone used to live there? How? I asked. Yeah, he said that there was a woman who had a house there. She owned some knick-knack shop in town till around 50 years ago, when she died. She'd have to row to the dock every morning just to get to her car, she explained. Must have been a pain in the butt to get groceries there, I said with a laugh. Yeah, my dad said she was super creepy, and they would sometimes catch her staring at them from the shore while they fished, she elaborated. Well, that's just weird, I said, kind of laughing it off. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure none of it was real. I think he just told us those things to keep us from going to the lake and messing around, she said with a laugh of her own. The rest of the day was spent playing various board games, reading, and just lounging around the cabin. However, each time I passed the living room window, I felt that distinct feeling of being watched. Each time I would glance out to see that island looming in the distance. Curiosity was starting to nag at me, especially now that I was told that there was a house sitting by itself, probably untouched there for decades. A few days passed by, and we spent our time doing more of the same. While relaxing like this was exactly what I needed. I couldn't get my mind off of that island. I had barely done any fishing since I did my first trip on the lake, as I always felt like something just didn't want me there. I couldn't take it anymore. I decided that once Rachel fell asleep, I was going to row out there to check it myself. It probably was just some urban legend her dad had concocted to scare the kids. But part of me wanted to know if it was real. Wanted it to be real. I sat up in bed reading, waiting for Rachel to fall asleep. She fell asleep faster than anybody had ever met, and could sleep through a hurricane, so I knew I wouldn't have to wait too long. She really wasn't a fan of anything creepy, and going to an abandoned house in the middle of the night was not something she'd be interested in. But I did feel kind of bad doing this without telling her. Then again, I knew she would just protest if she knew. I grabbed my heavy-duty flashlight, a hunting knife just in case, and my phone to record anything noteworthy. Rachel was asleep within minutes of laying her head down, and after waiting maybe twenty just to be safe... I turned out the lights and quietly made my way out of the cabin. It was dead quiet outside as I made my way down to the dock. No frogs, no crickets, nothing making a sound that night. I pushed off the dock and rowed my way toward the island. Each dip of the oars into the water seemed so loud in the complete silence of the night, 
I was so anxious to see if Rachel's dad's stories were true or just legend. Either way, there was something off about this island, and I desperately wanted to see it for myself. I pulled up to it and circled around for a minute. The moon was bright enough for me to see the shoreline as I scanned for any spots that were clear enough for me to set anchor. Finally, I spotted a stump jutting out from the land that was partially submerged. The boat drifted towards it as I grabbed a hold and hoisted myself onto the land. I tied the rope to the stump, and after making sure it was secure, I clumsily stepped through the thick brush until I made my way onto what appeared to be someone's yard. I switched on my flashlight to see a disheveled home sitting in the very middle of the island. It stood two stories, with rotting walls and a caved-in roof. No way, I thought to myself. There really is a house here. All of the windows were broken, and the entirety of the house was suffocated by an overgrowth of ancient vines. The trees were so dense around it that it blacked out the sky above as this house stood, forgotten by time. I remembered to pull out my phone right then, to capture anything I might find. I swept the beam of light over the house after I hit record, then I made my way over. My feet crunched on fallen dead branches and leaves. That sense of dread returned to me with a vengeance. I'd come this far, and I was not going to turn back now. I shined the light on the front door that sat ajar. I shone the light through the openings where the windows used to be. It was eerie to say the least. Whoever lived here really must have owned a knick-knack shop or something, because dozens of miscellaneous items were strewn across the floor, coated in years of thick dust. A box spring mattress looked as if it had been thrown across the room as it sat partially upright against a decaying wall. I put my weight into the door, and it agonizingly creaked open, letting out decades of neglect. The air was dense and unforgiving as I swept my phone all around to record all these long-forgotten memories. Dozens of various trinkets, household tools, and ceramic animals covered the floors as I carefully stepped over the abandoned piles. I shifted the light to one corner of the room and felt my heart jump where I saw a pile of maybe a dozen baby dolls lying in a heap. I made my way towards them as the floor creaked and groaned. I was seriously starting to get the creeps, as I noticed it was significantly colder in the house than it was outside in the summer night. Some of the dolls were missing their heads, while others had dirty and torn clothing on them. Right above the pile, I noticed a picture hanging on the wall. I blew off the thick coat of dust and went into a coughing fit as it blew directly back into my eyes and down my throat. When I came to, I saw it was one of those creepy old-timey photos of a family where no one was smiling, just vacant expressions staring back at me. There was a thirty-something-year-old woman holding a baby with two little boys sitting by her sides. I realized they were standing in front of the house that I was currently invading. I turned around, and my blood ran cold. Standing at the opposite edge of the room in a doorway was a small boy lit up in the beam of my flashlight. I jumped out of my skin and screamed as the light illuminated this figure. He was maybe seven or eight years old, with sandy blonde hair and deep brown eyes. The light in his face didn't seem to bother him as he stared straight through me. 
I quickly recognized his face as one of the boys in the photograph. Sir, what are you doing here? The words slithered out of his mouth and up my spine, sending a cold chill throughout my body. I sat there dumbfounded as I stammered at the ghostly figure. Can you help my brother? Please, sir. The boy requested of me. I was speechless. He quickly turned and darted into the room behind him. I stood there for a moment, but then I realized I had all of this on video and I was seeing dollar signs. This was the most incredible and terrifying thing I'd ever witnessed. I took a deep breath, made sure the phone was still recording, and made my way into the room. I passed through the doorway and into a room that looked pristine. Clean floors, painted walls, and wooden rocking chairs. It even appeared that night had turned back into day, as the room looked dimly lit in the early morning light. I spotted yet another child off in the corner, just sitting on the floor, looking away from me, while the one who urged me into the room was leaning over something wrapped up on a couch. I made my way over to him, then glanced over his shoulder to see a baby cuddled up in a blanket cocoon. He feels cold, sir. He hasn't made a sound in a long time, and we don't know what's wrong. The little boy said to me with sadness in his voice. The other child began rocking nervously, hands clenched around his legs as he formed into a little ball. Can you help us, sir? The boy pleaded. The rocking child began to whimper and mumble under his breath. I'm sorry. I don't know what I can do to help. I spoke to him. Is your mother around? She can help you. It was at that moment that I heard a sound coming up from a staircase that I hadn't seen before. It started out very faint, but as the sound gradually grew, I could make out the heartbreaking sound of a woman crying. It persisted until it was a full-fledged wail that was ringing throughout the house. The boy rocking in the other corner quickly rose and sprinted out of the room. You should leave, mister. She doesn't like visitors. At that moment, it was like something flipped a switch, and the once immaculate room was now dark and cluttered with disgusting furniture that was torn and rotting. The wailing from upstairs hadn't ceased, and I heard loud, vicious stomping on the floor, right above me, rapidly, making its way to the staircase and starting the descent to the room I was in. I felt frozen in place. I shined the light down onto the couch to see a dirty, dust-caked doll lying there in a blanket. I looked back up at what sounded like a raging bull at the bottom of the stairs, then just stopped. So did the crying. I fell back and waited for what felt like hours for something to show itself. I tried to crawl backwards as my legs seemed to stop working. After what felt like an eternity, it started its way towards me, and my heart sank. Thud, thud, thud. Each pause between the steps was more suspenseful than the last. I sat there, hands shaking as my flashlight trembled with them. I tried to force myself to turn it off, but it was too late. I watched in horror as a figure dark as night with long wispy hair and gangly limbs lumbered into the room. It seemed to stop and face me for a moment, and I could feel tears running down my face. After a brief pause, it made its way to the couch. 
It looked down at the old doll and stroked its head with long, bony fingers. It let its face collapse into its hands, and it began sobbing once more. Same as before, it gradually grew louder and louder until it was nearly deafening. It picked up the doll and held it tight to its chest, before letting out an ear-piercing scream of pure despair. I was somehow able to get enough of a grip and pull out my knife, but as I did, this thing's neck violently twisted towards me and postured up. It towered high above me as its head nearly grazed the ceiling. At last, my legs found the strength I needed, and adrenaline kicked in. I stopped the video and pocketed my phone before making a mad dash for the door. I heard rapid, heavy stomps close the distance instantly, and I felt a tremendous force knock me through the doorway that I'd been running through. I frantically looked up as my flashlight had fallen from my hands, but I could still make out the figure hurling itself through the beam of light which was coming from the flashlight wherever it had landed. A symphony of screaming and crying was coming from this thing. It stood over me as it pinned me to the ground with immense strength. I managed to shake my arm free. I then attempted to slash at its face with the knife, but it grabbed my wrist with such force that I felt it was going to snap my arm. It clenched its cold hands around mine and slowly guided the knife down towards my stomach. I tried punching it with my now free hand as it slowly lifted my shirt and began running the blade down my abdomen. I screamed out in pain as it pierced my skin. I felt warm blood slide down my sides. My free hand frantically grasped for anything to use to defend myself with, when I felt it go over a large piece of broken glass. Without hesitating, I grabbed it and stuck the thing in its eye. It let out a horrible cry and fell off me as I managed to sprint out of the house and into the boat. I could hear it crying that same mournful wail as I pushed the boat off and made it back to the cabin. I pulled in and tied the boat down before sprinting up to the house, but when I opened the door, I heard a horrible sound. The same crying was coming from somewhere inside my cabin. It sounded muffled at first, but grew in volume as I approached our bedroom. I made my way to the door, and as I opened it, the crying stopped. All I saw was Rachel slumbering peacefully the way I'd left her. I checked the closets, checked under the bed, checked every room in the house, but could find no sign of anything out of the ordinary. I dove under the covers and curled up tightly next to Rachel, my body trembling in terror. I decided right there we were leaving the following day. I couldn't be here anymore. I don't know if it was exhaustion or the result of high adrenaline wearing off, but I somehow found sleep after cowering under the covers for a while. I had a dream, though. It was me walking to the shore of the island. I could see our cabin in the distance, a small candle in the living room providing it enough light to be seen. However, I had no control over my movements. Whatever I was actually seeing through looked down at the water dove in, and began swimming furiously toward the cabin. All the way I screamed for it to stop, but it only gained speed. It climbed onto the dock and sprinted at an unnatural speed, the earth seeming to shake underneath its feet. It opened the door of the cabin, 
slowing its pace, carefully making its way through the living room, then down the hall. It stopped and looked right at the bedroom door. It creaked open the door and walked inside. There I was, sleeping like a baby. I watched its disgusting, monstrous fingers slowly reach down towards me before violently grabbing me by the throat. I jolted awake and immediately shook Rachel up. We have to go now. What? She replied in a groggy tone. Just start packing. We're leaving right now. I rushed her into the car and hastily threw everything I could find before speeding down the unpaved road and away from the place. Rachel groggily asked me what was wrong, but I couldn't seem to answer. I felt as though I was in shock, and I couldn't get any words to come out. It was then that I remembered the video. I recorded it all. I pulled out my phone and handed it to Rachel. Go through the videos. Watch the most recent one, I told her. I don't understand what I'm looking at here, she said in an exhausted voice before handing me the phone after watching for a few minutes. What? Please, babe, just watch it through, I pleaded with her. She mumbled something but was already asleep again. I didn't really care that she wouldn't see it now. I was just happy to be getting away from that place and back home. I stopped at a rest stop a few hours into the trip. The sun had just finished rising. After making a trip to the bathroom and grabbing a few sodas from a vending machine, I decided to take a look at the video myself. Either Rachel was just half asleep, or the video didn't come out clear like I'd hoped. I pulled open the video, and my heart sank. There was no house in front of me, just dense brush and a huge pile of bricks and wood, the remains of a home. I scrolled through two hours of footage of me just standing there, staring straight ahead at nothing. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I scrolled through the video, and it was over three hours straight of me just standing there. I went to the end of the video, before some movement finally caught my eye. Because the end of the video consisted of me slowly pulling up my shirt, dragging a knife across my stomach, and grunting in pain, before I dropped the knife and sprinted back to the boat in a panic, making my way back to the cabin. For several hours of the drive, I just sat in silence, unable to comprehend what all had happened. Even when Rachel took over driving, I would not let myself fall asleep in fear of having another nightmare. I didn't want to tell her, and I hoped that she was too tired to even remember me showing it to her. After the long 17-hour drive was finally over, we started to unload our stuff from the car. Rachel was gathering up all of her things while I started to haul in the larger pieces of luggage into the home. I walked into the house and set down all the luggage I was carrying. I felt a sense of unease take over. The air was thick and heavy and the house was freezing cold. I reached for our doorknob to the bedroom and felt my heart sink. Just beyond the door, I could hear the faint sound of a woman sobbing.
The House and the Cabin from Kaiju Arcadia. When I was 14 years old, me and my girlfriend went to my grandparents' house. We agreed to actually do a test of courage in the middle of the night, an excuse to go explore some abandoned and creepy places. We asked my grandpa if he knew of any places like that. He told us about an old abandoned house and cabin at least a kilometer south of where we were. He said that the house was owned by a man from Ohio named Derek Shod from the 1900s, but he suddenly disappeared and was never heard from again. We were skeptic of this story. My girlfriend and I weren't very strong believers of these kinds of things, so we decided to go to that location, not entirely spooked by that story. My grandparents didn't want us to go, but like teenagers, we disobeyed. We ended up sneaking away and running off in the middle of the night, searching for that house and cabin to the south. The only thing we had on us were two knives, two flashlights, and a few extra batteries. As we were searching, I could feel that the forest had eyes and ears. The entire way through, it was like someone was following us, watching us closely. When we finally found the house and cabin, a sudden cold breeze blew, giving us chills straight up our backs. We entered the house first. We found a lot of creepy things, like books about demons and witchcraft, strange graffiti that we didn't understand, some very weird paintings, and worst of all, at least to me, a bunch of dolls in every room we entered. The house was only a common American house. That's the way I'd describe it, as I'm from the Philippines. We were scared now, but we were still ready to see that cabin. So we exited the house, and cautiously made our way over to the wooden cabin. It was about 50 or 60 feet away from the house. While I was walking behind my girlfriend, I heard a strange voice. Over here. I'm here. I stop right then and there, looking around, trying to find what called me. All I saw was a small bulge of cement. I approached it and then just stopped. I couldn't help myself but stop at that position. All I remember after that was complete blackness. Apparently, I blacked out. When I woke up, I saw my girlfriend also lying face down on the ground, just outside the cabin. We never made it to it. I panicked a bit and approached my girlfriend. When she woke up, she screamed, scaring me. Leave us alone. I was surprised, and I took a step back. I asked what was wrong, and she said that a man had been following us from the very beginning. What? I looked at her face and saw how pale she was. She looked very frail and sickly. With us scared, and now possibly in danger, I gave her a piggyback ride and carried her out of the forest as far as I could. We soon made it to the dirt road near my grandparents' house. When I put her down, I saw that no time had passed since we had first entered the forest. When we left, it was 11.38, but when we came back out of the forest, 
It was only 11.39. A single minute had passed, despite us walking over a kilometer back and forth. I called my uncle to come pick us up. A few minutes later, he showed up, and we rushed my girlfriend to the nearest hospital. When I told my uncle about our adventure, he got pissed and shouted that we were very, very lucky to come back alive. He said that some other people had tried to investigate that place, but many were hurt when they returned. Unfortunately, my friend actually got a permanent scar from the damage on her head after blacking out. We didn't do anything like this again for several years. Luckily, we're both alive and well now, but we won't be going back to any strange cabins. I've been insanely sick for the past three or four days now, so hit that like button to wish me good health. Share this video somewhere if you want the sickness to become incurable and spread to the neighbors, thanks. Uh, while I'm on the road to recovery, here are some stories from your favorite magical place, full of cuddly fairy tale critters, the woods. If you haven't learned that them trees mean trouble, then you're as good as dead. I mean, not alive. Sorry, YouTube. Can I keep my ads now? Enjoy these stories and excuse my fever-induced insanity. Remember to share your stories at reddit.com slash r slash darkness prevails for a chance to have them narrated. There was something outside my tent. From Sloth My Mango. This is a true story. It happened just last week as of posting this and I've been looking for a place to tell this story. I live in Phoenix, and it's the summer, so my friends and I planned a trip to Fool's Hollow Lake in northeast Arizona. The camping site is serene. We were fortunate enough to get a spot right by the river, and luckily for us, we happened to be the only campers at that campsite. We set up our tent. Me being the genius that I am, I decided to set mine up near the entrance of the woods, isolated from my friends. I wanted to get out of the way of the wind stream, and this way I could give my friend and his girlfriend some space, too. The first night goes fine, but there was something not right about this area. There was a shocking lack of wildlife in the area, minus a couple of squirrels that we'd seen we nicknamed Jeffrey and Dahmer. But even that was weird, because Dahmer was nearly twice the size of Jeffrey, and he would just stare at you if you looked in his direction. It was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen a squirrel do. But I shrugged it off as nothing more than kind of weird. We settled in for night two. That's when things started to get worse. We all checked out around 8pm since there wasn't really anything to do besides eat than sleep. It was night at that point, of course. And around 11.30, I woke up. It didn't take long for me to realize what had caused me to stir. There was a faint sound, like duct tape, unwrapping. That's a sound so unique it was unmistakable, but to hear it all the way out here, that's worrisome. I freeze up, 
thinking. Why would anyone need duct tape in the middle of the woods in the middle of the night? There's not supposed to be anyone for miles near us. I try to rationalize it as just a waking dream, but then I hear the slow rustle of leaves. Not very loud. It was as if someone was trying their best not to be heard. I quickly get my bear spray, and I stay as still as I can, listening for whatever comes next. I can hear them, clearly, two sets of steps, one very close, and the other a slight distance away. My tent is a one-person tent, and I'm six foot four, twenty years old, so to say I don't fit the look of my tent is an understatement. I can now see a silhouette of a man walking beside my tent, just outside. This is where things get bad. He doesn't try to hide as he glides his hand across my tent, teasing me, taunting me, trying to scare me. What still gets me to this day is the laugh that came next. <laughs> the most demented and cruel-sounding laugh I'd ever heard. It was a laugh that meant to instill fear into his target. I'm in full flight-or-fight mode at this point, but I know I can't fight two men at once, so I lay back, pretending to still be sleeping, waiting for the very worst. The zipper slowly began to pull down on my tent, and then the second fly net layer. An older-looking man, possibly in his fifties, pops his head into my tent. To my horror, he's got a hunting knife in his hand. But apparently I was not his prime target. Through the small slit in my eyes, I don't think he knew I was awake, but I could see him looking me over. He was sizing me up. Maybe I was just intimidating enough and decided that it was not in his best interest to mess with me. Or maybe I'm giving myself too much credit. Either way, he slowly eased away and zipped the tent back up. <sighs> Thank God. I hear the guy and whoever he's with wander off. I think the worst is over. But little did I know, the worst was yet to come. I wanted to let my friends know what happened, but since they had their phones off, I only received silence when I called. I eased back, debating whether or not to call the police or leave the tent at all. I decided that it wasn't worth it to call the police, as those people had left so quickly. I didn't want to draw too much attention to myself considering how lucky I was that I was possibly spared. It's around 12.30 by then, when yet another sound came about. I saw a small figure run around my tent into the campsite. I assumed it was the squirrel, Dahmer. He's coming back to screw up all our stuff. But moments later, I heard a sound that shook me to my core. It sounded like a mix between a dog and a bear breathing. It was hellish, but it didn't make sense as the only thing I saw was a small silhouette of what had to be a tinier animal. Nothing that size could manage a sound like that. I prepare my bear spray again, waiting for whatever this was to pass, but that's just it. I began to hear scratching, then I heard whimpering, 
but it never went too far away. I'm scared to death of bears, so this has not been my night at all. I then hear a familiar voice call out. It sounded like my friend, only that didn't make sense. He never opened my message or answered my call, and he's not the type to dodge me like that, especially at a time like this. His voice kept coming, kept calling me to leave the tent, but it never said why, but I never answered it. I ignored the voice, still choosing not to believe that any of this was happening. The voice continued for about ten minutes. Then it sort of dissolved into what I could only make out as a mix between a coyote howl and a human scream. It was 2 a.m. at this point, and I was still frozen in fear. My legs and arms couldn't stop shaking from all the adrenaline. It wasn't long before a new wave of sounds began to assault my tent. But I wasn't going to leave this spot, no matter what. It all finally came to a conclusion around 3 a.m., when a clear figure stood outside my tent again. I froze, not knowing whether it was the creepy men with knives, or whatever that thing was that had been making the noises. It went right up to my tent, but I didn't react. If I did, that could possibly spell trouble. But what struck me about this was, if it was a wild animal... Why wasn't it going for our food? Why wasn't it going for the cooler? Why was this figure outside my tent at all? And why was it peering at my tent? I'm panicking in silence, ready to defend myself against my would-be attacker. It lets out an ungodly noise and sort of scurries back into the woods. I was so petrified. I didn't move until sunrise. Once the sun was up and there hadn't been sounds like that for several hours, I quickly got up and alerted my friends. I told them we did not need to stay here any longer. The oddest part to this day is how we left out food and valuables like idiots, but none of that was touched. Neither the strange men nor the unknown animals wanted any of it. Instead... They were more interested in talking and calling out to us, or peering into our tents. I don't think I'll ever understand why any of this happened. My stepdad saved my life from something. From Morgan. When I was younger, between 3 and 11 years old, I lived in a trailer with my stepdad my mom, and my younger brother. We lived in a very small town in northern Minnesota. There was less than 100 people living there. The center of town was just over a mile away, and we lived around maybe six houses. Even so, the area was bordered by a playground, a field of corn, and trees. On the right of our trailer was the back door, which led into a fenced-in area for our dogs then to even more untold waves of trees. About half a mile down beyond those trees was a cemetery. We were very poor at the time, which is why we couldn't fix a lot of things in our house, even if we needed to, like the door in the back. 
not to mention my stepdad was pretty abusive to me. In the middle of the night, I would run away, which was more just sneaking out and hiding under our front porch for a couple of hours, and then sneaking back into my room. At one point when I did it, my stepdad got so mad, he broke our porch light. I was seven at the time. One night was particularly bad. I left the house at midnight. I went under the porch as usual. I was there for half an hour and then tried to go back inside. Little did I know that my stepdad was so mad, he locked me out. This time I was nine years old, so still that young I began to freak out. I began crying at the door, trying to get it to open. All the lights were off inside, so it was almost pitch black outside, aside from a dim and blinking streetlight. I was still bawling my eyes out when I heard a sound coming from the forest. It sounded like crying. I stopped, thinking that it was my cries echoing or something. But when I stopped, the other cries did not. When I heard them more clearly, they didn't sound like an animal or anything. It sounded like someone had recorded a person crying and played it out in the woods. And honestly, it did sound a lot like me. Panic began to pump through me. I was afraid. I tried the door harder, yanking at the doorknob, but it wouldn't budge. I'll just run to my mom's window, I thought. As I was about to, the crying sound drew closer. It was continuously crying, but it was coming towards me now. Slowly the distance closed between me and the thing making the crying noise. I could feel my face becoming hot, even with the tears streaming down my face. The back door, the words popped into my head. The doorknob is broken there. I can get in. I paused for a moment, listening to the sounds. It was speeding up. The crying noise was getting closer by the second. I took the chance. I began to make my way to the other door. I paused before I reached the right side, because the crying sound stopped. This was my chance. It went away, or so I thought, so I booked it to the fence. The latch was stuck. I tried to push it up, and just as it started to slide up, there was a whisper from the tall border of trees no more than fifteen feet away from me. I heard its words clearly. Come here. The words became stretched out and horrifying. It sounded like a very old, slow, distorted sound from a handheld recorder. I pushed the fence gate open and slammed the latch back down, running up our decaying old steps all two of them, and flung open the door. I slammed it shut and pushed a heavy box in front of it. I booked it down the hallway, through the living room, and right into my room. I closed my window quietly, then draped a blanket over it so that nothing out there could see and hear. I turned off all the lights, turned on a movie very softly, and crawled into the top bunk, waiting for the night to be over. The entire night, 
I could hear walking around the trailer outside, with the occasional muffled whisper saying, Come here. Followed by more crying. Go away. I wanted to scream at it, but I didn't want it to find me. When the morning came, I told my mom about my stepdad locking me out, but not about what happened after that. Who the hell do you think you are? She's only nine. My mom screamed at him. He apologized over and over and said he thought I was inside when he locked the door, but I knew he was lying. But my mom gave him the benefit of the doubt, again. I stopped sneaking out after that. The following night, around 10 p.m., I was sitting in my bed. I could hear some coyotes out towards the cemetery. I fell asleep for a while. I got up later that night, around the same time as the previous night. I was going to get a glass of water from the kitchen, then maybe stop by the bathroom. But when I left my bedroom, my stepdad was waiting for me. Come outside. I want to talk to you. In that situation, I was mortified. I was about to be outside with that thing again, and with my horrible stepdad. We went down to the front porch. I was waiting for the degrading to start, for the butt-chewing to begin, but it never did. We stood out there for ten minutes in silence, watching the stars in the sky. Off in the distance, we could hear the sound of coyotes from before, only now, they were from the field behind our house. For some reason, though, the sounds weren't exactly the same as before. They were weird now. That's coyotes. They're hunting something, my stepdad said. I looked up at him, and I shook my head. That doesn't sound like coyotes. It sounds strange. He gave me a knowing look then sat down on the bench next to where I stood. I looked out towards the field, the coyotes sounding even closer now. I looked back at my stepdad. He seemed so hesitant, like there was something he wanted to tell me, but he wasn't sure if he could. I looked back at the field again. The noises were so close this time, I swear I could hear hooves in the weeds. Why hooves, though? When I saw the pair of red eyes staring at me from the weeds, goosebumps sprouted up on my skin. They were in the exact same weeds where I could hear the coyotes and hooves. I stepped back and audibly gasped. My stepdad looked at me, then put a firm hand on my shoulder, pushing me back towards the door. He got me back inside, then locked the door behind us, then locked it with a chain. He brought me over to the kitchen and said, Don't ever leave the house at night. It's dangerous out there. What was in those weeds? What kind of animal has red eyes? I started quietly asking and crying at the same time. Then I began to explain what happened the previous night. He pulled me in and hugged me. When you're older, I'll tell you. Just promise me you won't go out at night again. I just cried and nodded. He brought me into my brother's room, 
and set up a sleeping bag on the floor next to my brother's bed and our dogs. The dogs were on high alert, growling at the blanketed window. I was afraid of what was on the other side. He put on a movie for us, even though my brother was sleeping. Then he went back to the living room, staying up all night, keeping a close eye out. All throughout that night, I could hear the cries of coyotes and some form of growling coming from an unknown animal, an animal I knew could not be a coyote. My stepdad never talked about that night again, so I can safely say I don't think I'll ever know what it was in those woods. But I listened, and I never went out there again after dark. Strange Lights in Rural Pennsylvania From XX Atroticus XX When I was 12 years old, my family would often go on road trips around the United States. We loved looking for cool and creepy places to travel to. Somehow, no matter where we were heading, we always managed to find something macabre, like an old cemetery or an insane asylum. My family was weird, I know. On a regular road trip, we would usually visit an allegedly haunted location, stay at an old campground that had been around for ages, and hunt for a well-known cryptid. My friends thought my family was nuts for believing in the paranormal. However, for me, it was just normal. There was a particular road trip I remember, the one that sticks out most in my mind to this very day. It really shows what our family was like back then. We were heading to the Cranberry Run Campground in East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. It wasn't known specifically as a haunted campsite, but the local newspapers mentioned accounts of strange lights in the sky and people disappearing. My father, being a novice cryptozoologist and paranormal investigator, heard rumors of the area and had scheduled a trip for us on one of our summer vacations. Upon reaching the town of East Stroudsburg, everything seemed completely normal. But after going about half a mile down the road, my father suddenly pulled over. There was a large building in front of us. We stared at it like deer in headlights, although it would be more accurate to say that we stared at what was right behind it. A mountain... I don't remember hearing any sounds at all, not even the traffic passing us by, and it seemed like everything just fell silent in that odd moment. Directly in front of us, one of the mountains was lit up, as though something was beaming a light down upon it. My father, being more scientifically minded, immediately looked ahead on the map to see if there was a road leading up the mountain so we could conduct an investigation. He found one, so we sped off toward the blinding light. My father was so transfixed and concentrated that we passed by a creepy abandoned-looking hotel without a second glance. That was entirely unlike us. I pointed this out to him, but he responded with a disgruntled, Not now. I immediately shut up and let my father concentrate on his driving. Finally, we found the road that led up the illuminated mountain. At what appeared to be the halfway mark, 
The concrete turned into a terribly rut-filled dirt road in dire need of some maintenance. As my father continued up the road, now slower to be cautious, my mother and I were tossed around in the car even still. At this point, the road seemed to be more of a sand-type sediment, which was unheard of for a mountain in this area. It didn't even seem to be normal sand. After a few minutes, the car began to slow down until it came to a stop on the mountainous road. The engine would no longer turn over. My dad swore and fumbled with the key. I, on the other hand, was preoccupied with the black figures that suddenly appeared and were standing directly in front of our car. We sat quiet, motionless, until my mother opened the door and stepped out. The second she touched the strange sand-like substance, she immediately passed out, as if it was from the fabled Sandman himself. My father yelled, unbuckling himself so that he could lean between the seats and yank her back into the car. As he slammed Mom's door shut, those black figures pointed behind us, as if threatening us, telling us to leave. Dad then threw the car into reverse, making several attempts to start the car, while I tried to wake my mother up. After a few minutes, the car finally started. We kept a close eye on those strange figures, while my dad backed us out of there. Mom only woke up, though, once we were back on the main road. It took us all a while to process what had happened. It was so bizarre, so terrifying... My mother kept insisting that the beings that we saw had wings, though Dad and I hadn't seen them. I don't feel that they were there to hurt us, just to scare us enough to turn around and never come back. But why didn't they want us up there? Years later, I still believe that it was a warning of sorts. Perhaps there was some unseen danger up ahead, and this was the universe's way of telling us to stop of warning us not to go in that direction. The black figures only interacted with us when we wouldn't move, and they never did try to approach us, much less harm us. I'm not entirely sure they could. Every now and then I remember that experience. The fright, the awe, the feeling of something more than myself. I finally decided to tell this story, because I don't care what anyone says. There are some very mysterious things out there. Some good, some bad, and some you just don't know about. As humans, we don't understand most of the things around us, though we try desperately to. So why should we be so close-minded as to believe that paranormal encounters like this one don't exist? Just remember... If you're heading out to the Cranberry Run campground in East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, beware the strange lights and look out for the shadow people. Well, that's the end of this episode, guys. That's the hardest episode I've had to put together, because I am so sick right now it hurts to talk. I need a nice long nap, a 64-ounce tub of chicken noodle soup, and a hot, slightly chocolatey coffee or I'm going to be the villain in the next story. 
Just imagine me all pale and disgusting and sweaty, poking my head into your tent and asking you for a bowl of moist noodles. And when I come asking, you better give me that noodle. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you want your story told, share it with us at darkstories.org or reddit.com slash r slash darkness prevails. If you want to support the show, you can check the links below. There's a link to my Patreon where you can donate, or a link to my merchandise store where you can get some creepy and cool shirts. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous full episode. Kieran says, Do back alley horror stories. That's a good idea. Some very sketchy things go on in the back alleys. I'm not saying I go back there from time to time to pick out the juiciest and tastiest of the cockroaches. But yeah, sketchy stuff. Gato Dogcat says, I thought it said frog, not fog. Well, that could work too, because an unimaginable genius of our time once said, They're turning the freaking frogs gay. And if that don't scare you, I don't know what will. Gage Call says, Haven't watched in a while. Time to wake up in the middle of the night again. Ha, huh, you too? I've been waking up to fever dreams for the last several days. Last night I didn't even go to bed, because I was tired of sleeping, if that makes any sense. HotterK88 says, First like, first to be eaten by the monsters in the dark. I hope I taste good at least. Well, the monsters tell me I taste like caramelized onions. Is that a good thing? And Brandon Daniel says, I left the video I was watching to come and see this. I love creepy stories. Ah, another person of culture, I see. Tell me, friendo, what video did you leave to watch this one? Was it a meme compilation? It might tell me a lot about your character. Well, that's the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. I gotta go get better so I can make you guys more stories. Well, not make you stories, but read you stories. Anyway, here are the credits to my patrons who continue to donate, because they're just amazing like that. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. Hey everyone, I'm still recovering right now, but my throat seems to be getting worse. It hurts to breathe, let alone move my mouth too much. Thankfully, some very amazing and kind people offered to help me out today, so give a huge thanks to them. They are Being Scared, Swamp Dweller, Solitary Wendigo, Sodomir of Project Imminent Death, and Malum. So be sure to click the links below to subscribe to them and show your appreciation. Also, this episode will not have an outro. And one last thing. Remember that you can share your stories at darkstories.org or reddit.com slash r slash darkness prevails. Thank you. Now let's begin. Manipul Skinwalker from Dr. White Rabbit. This is a story from Africa and most likely the only skinwalker story from there. My uncle, cousin, and myself tried to go to Manipul's often 
as we don't like the generic game parks, such as the Kruger National Park in South Africa, that all the tourists go to. Plastic and fake with all the fences make us feel caged. Now, we've all been going into the bush for years, and most likely we'd be out there for months or years without giving it much thought, if it weren't for life and work. The bush is our home away from home. Manipoles in Zimbabwe is special on its own, though. You have lions and elephants walking through your camp. There are cabins as well, but we prefer the campsites. The one time we had a Nile croc take a zebra down not more than 20 meters from our campsite, it was awesome. It's the real Africa, not the Africa you see on your local travel guides or TV. This happened when we took our friends from the States to show them the real bush. As always, I took my hammock with me, along with my Ott 375 rifle and a Colt 1911. I still need to protect myself from hippos and things, after all. Once we got there to the campsite, and we had to set up, I then went for a walk looking for tracks for our friends from across the Great Lake. I didn't see anything bad. A few lions, a cheetah, a zebra, and an elephant, all of which had come across our campsite, but didn't really care. Cool, I thought. My friends might just have a fright of their life tonight, if anything like those came back. I kept walking around when I saw these other tracks in the sand. They were odd, maybe about 30 centimeters long and 15 wide. They looked almost human, but with more feline traits. My uncle came from behind me and asked if I had found anything good. I showed him the prints I was looking at, asking if he recognized them. He shrugged at me and said it's probably just a big baboon. We laughed it off and walked back to camp, though I have to admit, the tracks were still on my mind. The week was pretty uneventful. We saw some guys downriver fishing, but they were so far from us that we didn't bother with them. On day five, I went paddling downriver to find a good fishing spot. Drifting down, I saw some hippos and some lions on the riverbank, they didn't look right, almost like they were scared. This was also odd. Their behavior was far from normal. I ended up where we saw the other camp not too long ago, and I paddled to shore. The guy who greeted me looked quite shaken. I jokingly asked if this was their first time out here. They said yeah, and said that they were leaving tomorrow, as apparently then their car would be fixed, because some animal had wrecked the engine. I said sorry, then changed the subject, asking if the fish were biting here. He looked at me with a pale expression on his face and said it was time to leave. The way he looked and acted in that moment, it sent shivers down my spine. When I got back to camp, I was telling my uncle about this. He looked at me and said, Yeah, manna isn't for everyone. You never know what's around you. I asked him what he meant, and he replied, Those strange tracks you found. You see, I've never seen them before. Great, I thought. Now he tells me. I jump into my truck and go on a game drive, taking my friends with me. 
My friend's sister is quite uptight and is kind of scared on this trip. I'm telling her there's nothing to panic about. She's not going to get eaten out here. But it doesn't seem to help. We carry on talking and trying to lighten the mood. She suddenly changes the subject and asks us if we had seen that big animal last night. I look at her confused, but answer confidently, saying we are in the bush after all, and seeing any large animal like that wasn't exactly paranormal. I told her not to worry, though. We had plenty of firepower, and we could take down most anything out here. Night soon rolled around again. We were all sitting around the campfire telling scary stories of the bush, about monsters in the African bush. I noticed that the people downriver were suddenly running frantically away from something. We stop our stories for a moment. I look through my scope, and what I saw out there will forever haunt me. There was this creature, about three to four meters tall, it was squeezing one of the men's throats so hard, it bent and molded around the claw like wet Play-Doh. I felt too sick to continue watching, too terrified. I put down the rifle, and I told everyone as calmly as I could that we needed to leave. I turn around and see my uncle loading things into the truck. My cousins and friends are running around grabbing things as well, while the girl is shaking. We needed to leave before that thing saw us. Within minutes, everyone was mostly packed when we heard a branch break nearby. Everything went dead silent as the entire group stayed completely motionless. There was a palpable, textured dread in the air around us. It's funny how the lack of any sort of sound makes such real fear apparent. When the inhuman cry came from the nearby forest, we all panicked, clamoring into the truck and driving away as fast as possible, following along the riverbank. By morning, we ran into some park rangers who thought we were poachers, but we de-escalated the situation and told them what had happened. Later on, we heard that the only thing they found that was left of the other people's camp was torn up supplies. They think that the people that were there had already escaped and that it seemed to be a sort of lion attack. But both of those claims were probably wrong. I saw that thing. I saw how it was choking that man's throat. One thing is certain. I'll never go to the same part of that park. I'm not risking my life just to hunt and camp. I recently moved into a big house, just temporarily. It's kind of a complicated situation. The house belongs to a family member. They were going to be gone for a few months, that sort of thing. I was going to be there on my own, so obviously I thought, what if it's haunted? There wasn't anything in the house when I moved in. There is now. I was in the main hallway unpacking some stuff when the doorbell rang. That put me on edge right away because the house is at the end of a long driveway and kind of out of the way. You have to go looking for it. 
there was an old woman at the door. This was in broad daylight, but there was still something kind of off about her. She was really tall, like a full head taller than me, and I thought there was something weird about the way she looked. It was like none of her clothes fit her properly. She took my hand and smiled really wide and told me that she was from the neighborhood council or something like that and asked if she could come in and talk to me. My gut reaction was to say no, but I couldn't really think of a reason to. She was just an old woman. What was she going to do? I really wish I had just slammed the door in her face. I brought her into the living room, and she sort of tottered behind me, like her feet didn't fit into her shoes properly. She sat down without asking, and grinned at me until I took a seat across from her. For about a half a minute, she didn't say anything, just smiled and stared at me while it got increasingly awkward. Just as I was about to break the silence, she fished in her pocket and pulled out this really big, old-fashioned suite, the type that comes in that see-through wrapping. Here, she said, eat this. I should probably point out here that she spoke really quietly, so it was difficult to hear anything she said. I accepted the suite, kind of taken back, and unwrapped it. It was dark red, almost black. I popped it in my mouth because she was still grinning at me and nodding her head. Have you ever walked around behind a supermarket where they keep the big bins? They throw meat that's gone bad in those bins. Imagine that rancid smell, but on a hot summer day. It's so thick you can almost feel it in the air. That's what the sweet tasted like. I almost spit it out onto the floor, but wanting to be nice made me chew the thing and force it down my throat. The woman was talking all the time, but between the taste and her quiet voice, I barely heard her. My mouth tasted like rotten meat, so I politely told her I was going to go get some water and ran into the kitchen. When I came back, she was gone. I had been in the kitchen for less than 30 seconds. My first reaction probably should have been to assume that she went to the bathroom or had to leave in a hurry. Instead, I searched the entire house. I went through every single room, convinced I was going to open a closet or look under a bed and see her stuffed in there, grinning at me. That didn't happen, obviously, but I was still extremely on edge as the sun started to go down. I felt like I was turning off the light in my bedroom after spotting a giant spider in there. That night, I propped a chair against my bedroom door because I just couldn't shake the feeling that the woman was still in the house somewhere, hiding. I woke up at around 2 in the morning and heard creaking floorboards downstairs. It was an old house and unfamiliar. I kept telling myself that until the noises stopped. When I woke up the next morning, there was a red suite on the living room table. I'll tell you the same thing I told the police. No, I can't be absolutely certain that the suite wasn't there the day before. Maybe I had just overlooked it, but I didn't think so. They told me that the organization the woman claimed to come from 
didn't actually exist and clearly thought I was wasting their time. After they left, I searched the entire house again and then the grounds. Then I searched them again. By the time I was finished, I had managed to calm down a bit and looked at the situation rationally. The woman probably left the suite there the previous day, and I just didn't notice. I had searched the whole house twice now. There was nowhere she could possibly be hiding. She was probably just some daughtery old lady who wandered off while I was in the kitchen. As I prepared to go to bed, I had managed to fully delude myself into thinking nothing strange was going on. I decided not to do anything childish like blocking my door, because what was I afraid of? Even if she somehow was still inside the house somewhere, what was she going to do? At some point in the middle of the night, I woke up abruptly, knowing in the back of my mind that something was wrong. I guess I must have heard something in my sleep. I turned over onto my side and reached out to turn on the bedside lamp, groping around because I was in an unfamiliar room. When the light came on, I saw the old woman standing right next to my bed. I only got a glimpse of her because as soon as I screamed, she scuttled backward out of the door really fast. I only got the briefest glimpse of her before she vanished into the unlit hallway outside my door. I now believe that the human brain has a special compartment for dealing with experiences far outside of the realm of the natural. If I had woken up to find a burglar in my room, I probably would have gone numb with panic. If there was a lion at the foot of my bed, I would have been too paralyzed with fear to do anything. But as soon as the woman was gone, that special compartment took over. I jumped out of bed and slammed the door shut then shoved a chair up against the handle and then dashed for my phone. No signal. No internet. I later found out there was nothing wrong with the phone or the local service. I think that she was interfering with it somehow. The drop from the bedroom window wasn't too high. If I landed just right, I would probably avoid injury. But what if I sprained an ankle or broke my leg? I had a sudden vision of pulling myself across the dark garden while the woman sprinted after me and decided I didn't want to risk it. That gave me two options. Wait out the night in my bedroom or try to get out of the house now. I went for the second one. I was thinking that my flimsy barricade wouldn't hold if the woman decided she wanted back in. I broke one of the chair legs off and crept slowly into the hallway reaching carefully for the light switch. When I pressed it, the lights came on for a second and then faded out. I flicked the switch a few more times. Nothing. Some gut instinct told me she was sabotaging them somehow. I used my phone for light as I slowly, quietly crept along the upstairs hallway and down the stairs. The light barely traced the shapes of the walls and the dark, yawning frames of open doorways. I jumped at every single shadow and unidentifiable shape, certain that at any second that grinning face would appear out of the shadows. I got downstairs into the front door. I had double locked it and put the chain in place. Just as I was reaching for the first lock, I heard rapid, uneven footsteps at the top of the stairs approaching swiftly. I undid the first lock a high-pitched shriek 
came from halfway down the stairs, and I screamed as I undid the second lock and wrenched the door open. It stuck fast. I had forgotten the chain. I glanced behind me and saw the tall, spindly shape of the woman half running, half falling down the stairs toward me, her head lolling backward and her mouth hanging open. I can't even remember getting the chain off. I might actually have just yanked the door open so hard I broke it. In any case, the last I saw of the woman was her face inches away from me as I slammed the door shut. I sprinted to the nearest house and eventually they called the police, possibly because I was half delirious with fear and babbling incoherently. The police once again failed to find anything unusual. It's been a week. I'm staying at a friend's place, sleeping with the lights on and the bedroom door barricaded. The house's real owners aren't back yet. I'm not sure what I'm going to tell them, but I have to stop them from going back there, somehow. This isn't a haunting. It's an infestation. I can't stop thinking about all of the holes in our defenses. The windows and doors left open. The strangers invited into our living rooms. I just hope to God it's the house that she wanted and not me. So I grew up in South Jersey very close to the Pine Barrens. The Pine Barrens are basically a stretch of wilderness across southern New Jersey that holds a huge aquifer underneath it. The aquifer exists because the soil is extremely sandy, allowing for rapid draining of rainwater into the aquifer below. People here have no doubt that the Jersey Devil is real, so much so that part of the Pine Barren unit in sixth grade science included the legend of the Jersey Devil, what he probably looks like, and different significant sightings that people in the area have seen over the years. You know. Typical public school learning. All of the Jersey Devil talk peaked when we went to Mount Misery for our 6th grade class trip. Basically, we spent three days in the heart of the Pine Barrens with our teachers and classmates cabin camping. We did a ton of random nature stuff, but everything came to a head on the last night there. The grade was split into three groups that would rotate through three different activities, ghost stories, s'mores, and a hayride. My group went through the activities in this exact order. The ghost stories were pretty lame. They were told by one of the English teachers and was definitely meant to freak us out a little bit. None of the stories mentioned the devil at all, though. The sun began to set as we made some s'mores for our second activity. Both of the other groups got to experience the hayride during the day, but by the time we got it, the sun had fully set. Our group loaded into the back of the hayride, which consisted of a tractor pulling a large trailer filled with hay and straw. A couple teachers joined the group, with my homeroom teacher sitting three people away from me, towards the front of the trailer. The tractor turned its headlights on, and we were off into the woods. Honestly, there wasn't much to see. We traveled down some sandy dirt road surrounded by trees in the pitch black darkness. This went on for about ten or so minutes until we finally came out to a clearing. The clearing can best be described as a bunch of sand dunes, not uncommon for the Pine Barrens, with a small pool of water at the lowest point between a couple of the dunes. The tractor pedaled along across the side of the clearing towards the dirt on the other side. Everything was fine until one of the kids on the side closest to the pool of the water shouted, What's that thing over there drinking out of the water? We all rushed over to look and saw what looked to be a deformed deer. It was drinking out of the water like any other deer would, but it looked like it had long scratches along its side and had weird deformities sticking out of its back. 
I could see how someone could mistake these for wings, but it looked more like a strange, large black roof to me. My first thought was this was something like a teacher trying to scare us or something. After all, we literally learned about the Jersey Devil like two weeks prior and we just listened to a bunch of ghost stories about an hour ago. My opinion was changed when I saw the panic in my homeroom teacher's eyes. She pushed me and a couple of other kids away from that side of the trailer and frantically was yelling at the tractor guy to speed up. She tried to hide it, but I saw her wipe tears away throughout the rest of the ride. I never got to see if that deer thing reacted to us because my teacher was holding me down away from the ride. The driver gunned it, and the teachers towards the back of the trailer frantically scanned the woods behind us with flashlights for the rest of the ride. When we got to the camp, half of us rolled out of the trailer with laughter. Surely this was a prank that the teachers put on for all the groups, right? But after talking to the other kids, we realized we were the only ones that saw this creature. I paid close attention to my teacher, and saw her pull a couple of other teachers aside, and they exchanged frightened looks as she told them what we saw. My sister went on the same class trip two years later, and they didn't even do the hayride activity at all. This happened years ago, but I've never been able to shake that encounter. The closest thing I've seen to what I saw was when Paranormal State tried to find the Jersey Devil themselves. They captured an image of a weird-looking deer on thermal cameras. I don't know if it's the Jersey Devil, but they definitely saw the same freaked-up thing that I did. Before I start, I should mention that I am half white, half Mexican male, and this story happened to me when I was 17 years old. My family went to California for a summer vacation, and to see the family we have out there. That year, we decided to go camping in a certain park in Northern California for a few days, and being a Phoenix native, it was a much needed break from the 120 degree heat. All was good for the first few days, until the second to last night there. A group of five to six of us were sitting by the campfire at one in the morning, when we noticed the forest goes dead silent around us. As we all look around at each other, questioningly, we hear the pained, blood-curdling scream of a woman saying, No, 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 no. ring from the trees to the left of our camp. Not knowing what was wrong or what was going on, we kept our ears open and stayed on guard. A few moments later, we hear the same noise again, but somehow different, more inhuman this time, like a voice being played off of a speaker. We instantly recognized it as the voice of the woman from before. Horrified, we quietly all went to our tents to hide. Eventually, we all fell into a very uneasy sleep. I jolted awake at three in the morning, desperately needing to pee. Thankfully, we were across from the outhouses, so after a quick sprint over to the outhouses and relieving myself, I hear what sounded like scratching on a tin metal roof. I immediately froze, remembering the inhuman howl from earlier that night, hoping they weren't related. Armed with only my phone, I watched the next half an hour tick down, either waiting for the sun to rise or for the sound of the scraping to stop. Suddenly, the light in the bathroom cut out. The timer for the lights had gone out leaving me in the dark. With the faintest bit of light threatening to peek its head over from the horizon, I decided to make my break back to the tent. I made it across the dirt road to the camp when I heard it again. That woman's shriek, but not loud, it had the same intensity and inhuman artificialness, but it was like barely a whisper. Foolishly, 
I turned around and perked on the metal roof. I saw was a seven-foot, pale gray creature with three-inch claws on all fours and deep, sunken eyes staring at me a mere twenty-five feet away. Its flesh was tightly stretched across its bones. It was completely hairless and lacked any form of genitalia. I was frozen solid as we looked at each other until it took to its right and saw the light creeping up. It stared at me and let out one more agonizing cry that had me haunted till this very day. It sent one last soul-stabbing stare before it vanished into the early morning. As I lay back into my tent silently sobbing and trying to fall back asleep, I hear the faint echo of the thing's cry. Needless to say, I didn't sleep at all that night and refused to set foot in those woods again. As we left the campsite that day, we saw a homeless-looking woman standing at the side of the road going down the mountain. I didn't make eye contact, but I knew she was staring at me. Once we passed, I casually looked over my shoulder to see if she was there, and she wasn't. But there was an owl who flew close to the ground to where she was. As a disclaimer, we are all under a lot of stress, so it's quite possible that our minds were playing tricks or making things seem like more than what they were. But know this, the events unfolded here terrified me beyond a reasonable doubt. Backstory, these events unfolded after I evacuated the Panama City area due to Hurricane Michael. My apartment was destroyed and I had little other places that I could go, so I went to my aunt's new house while waiting for their word. I was staying with my aunt, Sabrina, her boyfriend, Frank, his son, Ted, and my younger cousin, Keith, in a fairly large house in northern Tennessee. They were just moving in when I arrived, in fact, and I was helping them move furniture and the like inside during my month-long stay. I started out simply. Certain rooms would be colder than others, and a heavy feeling seemed to follow you throughout the house. We weren't even aware that the house was properly haunted until about two weeks into living there. I was sitting in the downstairs sitting room with Ted, playing Seven Days to Die on his PlayStation when the temperature in the room suddenly dropped. Everyone else, for the record, was upstairs during this time. I could hear the murmur of the conversation upstairs. We exchanged a glance. Do you feel that? His voice wavered nervously. He nodded slowly and cast his glance around for an open window. It was a fruitless glance. There weren't any windows in the room. Only a fireplace, which Ted began to feel around, looking for a draft shook his head, his brow furrowing. Nothing. I glanced up at the vents in the ceiling and propped myself on a chair to feel them. Warm air looked to my fingertips, and it was time to furrow my brow. Left air is warm. We ignored it and continued to play our game. It couldn't have been playing for longer than five minutes when the door to the garage suddenly opened. Ted and I exchanged a glance. Suddenly, I stood and closed the door, making sure it was latched before returning to my seat. Must have not been closed all the way. We again resumed our game but the door again opened less than two minutes later. It went on like this all day, the door opening as it pleased, and the room remaining mysteriously cold. The next night, Ted and I were watching a movie peacefully, with the door blocked off so it couldn't open anymore. Suddenly, we heard a scream upstairs, followed by the sound of breaking plate. We both darted upstairs to find my aunt in the kitchen, staring at the far wall in horror, her face pale as paper. The first thing I noticed was how oddly cold the floor was compared to the warmth of the air around us. What happened? I asked in alarm. Slowly, she began to explain what she had seen. The room temperature had dropped. Then she had seen the figure of a woman walk across the room and turn to face her before disappearing. That night, 
That's the moment I decided to get a hotel to the night. I briefly explained this, then rushed downstairs to the guest room to gather my things and leave. As I entered the room, the temperature again plummeted and the door slammed open with a loud bang. I didn't come back until they had the house blessed, but the spirit didn't leave until the third time they did this, with the spirit becoming more and more agitated with each blessing. The door before the third blessing... The day before the third blessing, my aunt described her encounter with the night before. The door opened and then slammed shut and a whispering filled the room. The ceiling fan began to sway back and forth as I could feel something holding me down with icy fingers. The bed began to shake and scratches were raked down my back. It didn't leave until I begged it to stop. So scratches it had felt and the bruises at her wrists and ankles. No photo proof, sadly. My only concern was to not get that same treatment. So I again stayed at a hotel while the same house was blessed for the third and final time. After that, my house was quiet. The door no longer opens on its own and no spectators can be seen at any point. To this day, we don't know why or what it was or why it was so angry, but we do know that it is no longer in the house or on the property. When Will It Attack Us? By Country 1989 This event took place in Alaska. Me and a few buddies from work decided to go to Anchorage to see local wildlife and wilderness. Still to this day, neither of us speak about it. So here we go. It was early September when we left Chicago, traveled up to Alaska. We flew up and over and arrived no issues. We got there and Mark, one of the guys who came, spotted a good spot on the map. We didn't care, just wanted to get things done and roll. Fred and me feigned out after we stopped, mostly looking for easy places for shelter. Mike and Wade looked for water and signs of bear in the area. Fred pointed out a spot that he felt solid enough for the couple nights we'd be staying. We started setting up camp, then later on, Wade and Mike showed up. But the whole time we were setting up camp, we felt like we were being watched, or monitored by someone. I didn't care. Fred was a former Marine, and Mike and Wade, Army. Me, just a good old boy from the Iowa woods. So not totally worried about security. So I thought. Later in the evening, the woods went quiet. Really quiet. The fire was going popping. Then, all of a sudden, we started hearing tree knocking about 800 yards away. It would start, then stop, then start on the other side of us. We thought they were bears, because, you know, we didn't know. Fred had a sidearm, or handgun, and everyone else had an 870-12 gauge pump shotgun. We pulled our pieces of steel close and hungered down for the night. Three hours later, I woke up needing to pee. I stepped out of the tent and walked 50 feet away. Laid him out, started, well, you know. As I'm in the process, I hear a deep growling coming from my right side. My eyes widened with fear, and once again I heard it on the left. I glanced over, and in the poorly lit gloom of dying campfire light, I can see a massive figure. It's huge and tall. The odor came as soon as the wind came my way. It stood on two legs. I was never able to see his face, but his eyes glowed like an evil red. I turned and bolted as fast as I could to the tent, made it, zipped it shut, and turned to get Fred up, but he was already awake, pistol in hand, ready to fire when needed. Fred leans in towards me and motions for me to lean as well. I did, to hear what he had to say. He stops and says, Bro, your penis is still out. Put it away, man. I'm about to yell at him, like, really? Till we hear the thing outside, walking around. Thud after thud. We text Mike and Wade, so if they're up, Bing text back. Yeah, what is out there? Fred decides to tell them, lock and load, be ready to unload if it messes with you guys. Bing, 10 to 4 ready. 
Hours and hours went by, but we could still smell them, and every once in a while hear and move. Six hours later, the sun comes up and no smell. We open the tents, and all our food in the trees is gone. Our bags that had garbage, gone. I told Fred what I saw, but he swore up and down these were bears. Nothing else. But I know what I saw. My aunt is a skinwalker. By O. Cougar. I am a Spokane Native American in the state of Washington. This is a story from the perspective of my mother. I believe my long runaway aunt has become a skinwalker. The story began with my mom and her older sister Annie. My grandpa has developed PTSD upon his return from Vietnam after graduating from high school. Aunt Annie got a job at a local grocery store. He started dating the store's regular, a guy named Sean. Sean and Aunt Annie often snuck out at night and wouldn't return till very late in the morning. It was nothing out of the ordinary, until my mom would return home seeing strange items such as blood-covered hand tomahawks and animal skulls carved with unknown scriptures in the backyard. Growing up listening to many stories about witchcraft, the skinwalker, and the wendigo, like most kids in the reservation, she immediately became curious about these items. It had become obvious that the relationship wasn't as it seemed. My mom secretly returned one of our animal skulls to the tribe elder. After a thorough examination, the tribe elder told my mom that the skull was crafted to perform an ancient form of black magic to summon demonic forces. The elder, too, was getting suspicious that Annie was possibly experimenting with black magic. The incident was reported to the elder council. The council insisted whatever Annie was doing was very dangerous and shall be stopped immediately. One of the elders gave my mom his number and wanted her to be his informant so they could catch whoever was messing with witchcraft in the reservation. When Annie arrived home and wanted to take my mom out for her 16th dinner birthday one evening, she ran across my drunk grandpa with a belt in his hands, ready to give my mother the beating of her life. Being the protective older sister she was, Annie stood up against my raging grandpa, pointing her fist and cursed out something that was not in our native tongue. My grandpa fell back down immediately, shaking violently as if he was having a seizure. It was almost like he was hit by a psychonetic force. That same day, Annie wanted my mom to pack up everything and move in with her in a trailer. A few days later, Scene came knocking on the back door, demanding to see Annie. Annie picked up her backpack and headed into the backwoods with Scene. But this time, my mom decided to stalk them just to see what they were secretly doing in the woods. Scene and Annie arrived at an open space in the woods, while my mom was hiding in bushes 30 feet behind them. Scene started a bonfire, as Annie took out several animal skulls and put them in an array on the ground. They then began to dance hysterically, and was chanting an unknown language. All of a sudden, Scene and Annie fell into a trance and fell onto the ground, screaming and laughing uncomfortably, followed by a sound of bones cracking. They transformed into tall, half-deer, half-human creatures, standing on their back legs. My mom, now trembling and covered in goosebumps, pulled out her phone and started texting one of the elders about what she was seeing. With her hands shaking violently with fear, my mom accidentally dropped her phone and the noise got the creature's attention. The creatures turned in my mom's direction and started sniffing the air. It was at this moment my mom bolted out of the bushes, running back to the trailer. My mother ran all the way back to the elder's place and told him everything she saw. An hour later, several tribal elders, shaman, and a few cops arrived at the scene. They only saw a still-burning bonfire, a hand axe covered in blood, several animal skins, and a backpack full of deer skulls. She stayed with one of the tribal elder's daughters, 
one of her best friends from middle school. Now with my grandpa in an asylum, tribal elders arranged my great aunt to pick up my mom and wanted her to stay with my great aunt until further notice. A few days later, my mom went back to Annie's trailer to pack up and found a note written, I love you Josie, my mom's name, I'm off to a better world, on Annie's bed. That was the last time Annie was heard or seen by my mom or by anyone. Two months after Annie's disappearance, my mom got woken up by a voice calling her name during an afternoon nap at my great aunt's house. Josie. Josie. She immediately recognized it was the voice of Annie. She went out to the front door to only see a majestic-looking doe with green glowing eyes limp walking into the front yard. This was strange, since the deer population was recorded low in the area. The doe limp walked up to my mom and lowered its head as if it wanted my mom to pet it, which was unusual for a wild deer to do. My mom petted the deer, rubbing its chin, and then the doe ran away. My mom believed the doe was her sister, Aunt Annie. She shaped just into a deer and came to say her final goodbye. The term skinwalker has become synonymous with evil over the years, and has been depicted as an evil monster that wants to lure you and harm you. From the stories I have heard from the tribal leaders, not all shapeshifters, witch doctors, are evil. The skinwalkers are closely worked with the tribe in ancient times. For example, the skinwalkers would shapeshift into a bird so they could travel great distances to treat the patients, or into a bear to fight in battles, or into a fox so they could sneak into enemy camps to spy on them. In my case, my own aunt chose to become one to protect her little sister. It's June 7th, the perfect day for fear. On this special occasion, just a random day that I picked out, I've got a few stories for you, featuring strange creatures watching you, and dark figures haunting up the place. So get your eyes checked, and prepare your heart medication. Because what you're seeing out of the corner of your eye in your room at night, it may be more real and tangible than you realize. Remember, if you have a story and you want to hear it on the show, share it with us at reddit.com slash r slash darkness prevails or just click the link in the description. Things are speeding up from X own Drahas. For two and a half years, I've lived in my family's new house. A lot of things have been happening and now the rate of occurrences is speeding up. At around four just this morning, I woke up, rolled over to face the windows, and I began to drift back into sleep, which was pretty easy considering the light rain on the roof. Maybe a minute later, I saw two glowing eyes and a vague pale head poke around the edge of my window, looking into my room. For the first time in a long time, I was struck with the kind of fear that paralyzes your entire body, all while your heart sinks into the sole of your shoes. The thing I was seeing at this window was about the size of a ten-year-old child, but its skin was too pale, and its eyes either glowed or reflected the whitish-blue light coming in from the next room. It began to snake its head back and forth for a while, 
and then stared off into the distance, crawling away. After my terror faded, I tried to debunk it, tried to explain away the horror i just witnessed. Maybe it was a bird, but what bird would stand at about two and a half feet tall? And why would anyone or anything be staring into my window at night, in the pouring rain? A cat, maybe. But again, why in the rain? And what cat would climb onto a first-story roof, walk across a slippery tin roof, and stare into my window, soaking wet? Maybe it was some kid playing a prank. But four in the morning? I don't think so. And none of that explains the eerie, supernatural glow to it. I should mention here that the day before, while on a hike in the woods, I heard a sudden hush sound in the forest, followed by oddly bipedal-sounding footsteps. I passed it off as a deer, or hunter, something like that, even though the sound didn't match the deer part. But now, I'm not so sure. Now I'm thinking something may have followed me home. I've had other more explainable things happen recently, but this has me more nervous about sleeping. What if it just stares at me all night, just watches me? Maybe it even tries to open the windows while I'm unconscious. What if it does open the windows? What if it's been next to me, watching me sleep? What did I see? From JRG962 It was the summer of 2018. I was on a photo shoot for my college. It was a project based at the well-known landmark Iron Bridge Gorge. To give a brief overview, Iron Bridge is located in Shropshire, England. It's famous for both the iconic Iron Bridge, which spans the River Severn, and its proximity to Much Winlock, which is the home to the Winlock Edge and Shropshire Hills. Anyway, I went alone, and it was meant to rain on the same day. After planning to photograph the entire Iron Bridge Gorge from Telford to Much Winlock, I headed down on the numerous buses linking the town with Telford. I happened to run into a huge problem with a part of the shoot. It was also that I mapped out photographing Iron Bridge Power Station, but it had closed in 2015 and was in the process of demolition. As such, I wasn't allowed close enough for photography. I ended up capturing some of it from afar, and then proceeding afterwards to walk up the long-closed Much Winlock branch line. It was a passenger railway which connected Wellington and Telford to Craven Arms near Church Stretton. While the line was closed, it was still partially open as a footpath. I was looking toward the site of the cooling towers at Iron Bridge, when I noticed on the bridge there was a figure. Now the bridge has been fenced off for a while now, and I didn't see anyone else on the site that day. But I, but the figure did not look human. That's what really scared me down to my bones. It looked straight at me with white eyes, then lunged at the gates, only to disappear in front of me after giving me a good jump. I ran to the nearest main road. The weather cleared out later, and I began to walk up to Much Winlock. Now, you should know there are two legends of hauntings surrounding this place. 
The first is a legend about a man named Old Ippigan. If you're brave or foolish enough to stand on the cliff and taunt the ghost of Old Ippigan, the consequences could be fatal. One man challenged the 13th century robber knight with these words, saying, Ippigan, Ippigan, keep away with your long chin. And he was never seen again. Ippigan was said to be a fierce man of a sour temper and evil lucks. Some said he was an ancient magician who had found the secret of renewing life after seventy years. He and his bandits terrorized the locality. No one dared approach his cave for fear of an attack, even though it was rumored to be full of Ippikin's booty of treasure and precious stones. Where men feared, however, nature lent a hand in bringing the robber knight his deserved comeuppance. During a raging storm, lightning struck a huge rock overhanging the cave. It toppled down, crashing down across the entrance and trapping Ippikin and his band inside. To this day, they still say it's unwise to challenge Ippigan, who stalks the edge with his men, pushing the unwary to their deaths over the cliff. Doubters beware. Above Upper Hill Farm lies Ippigan's rock. Look close, and you can see the mark of a gold chain the robber wore, or, should we say, still wears. Another story is about a 17th century timbered house the distinctive facade of Reynolds' house in much Winlock's high street hides many unexplained phenomena. The fine-timbered frame 17th century building has a mid-floor balcony on which children still play, spinning tops. Their faces peer out from the windows. Look closer and you'll see that their faces seem pale and ghostly. The clothes they wear are not of this time either, but Victorian. That's what they say, anyway. Now back to me. After making my way to Much Winlock on foot, which took over an hour, I stopped to rest and grab a drink. When I noticed on my photos, there were strange orbs appearing around the road I'd walked on. But I assumed or hoped it was just dust particles. After finishing up in Much Winlock, where nothing happened, I made my way to Winlock Edge, and after reading about the Ipican legend... I decided to try a little paranormal experiment. I said the lion as mentioned above to provoke Ippigan, though I stayed a safe distance from the edge. But immediately, I heard a noise behind me. I turned to look but saw no one there. I then began to hear footsteps, but surely it was just a hiker or explorer at a holiday camp which was only half a mile away. But it sounded too close for that. Not to mention there were no cars or signs of people around me. I began to panic, realizing that I may have just provoked an angry spirit, and I prayed that nothing happened to me. I suddenly saw movement in the woodland. It was not an animal. It appeared more like a mist. I quickly grabbed my equipment and beelined to my car. When I made it back, I saw a figure, one that was walking towards me. I put my foot down in the pedal, and I sped away from that eerie scene. Twenty miles later, I stopped off at Market Drayton, and I was thankful to be back around people. 
I was shaking still from what had happened. I went back home after getting something to eat and fueling up. After doing some research into the incident, I found that apparently there was another legend about a monk that haunted the power station and the nearby abbey ruins. And then I stumbled upon the legend of Ipiken, with whom I did not know about. The taunting I mentioned earlier was not directly at Ipiken, as I'd simply said, any ghosts out here really scared to be seen? I still regret saying it. Sometimes you say something, but you really don't want it. I had no idea that I was risking my life at the time. I'm sharing this story to remind you that legends should probably be respected. The Haunted Library from Silver Bullet 54 Holy Family Academy in Hazleton, Pennsylvania is haunted. I know it sounds strange to say that. You wouldn't expect such a godly place to be a scene of the paranormal, but it is. I first heard the rumors from some of my friends at camp one year. Apparently, back in the 1980s, the school was still Bishop Hafey. A bunch of students from their rivaling school weren't very fond of them. Everything in a rivalry happened, defacing signs and monuments, pouring paint on the football field, eggings, TPing, you name it, they did it. One girl who I heard was named Samantha was one of the few students who didn't go with Bishop Hafey's tradition. One night, she had to stay behind in the school to take care of a library issue with the shelving. As she was shelving books, she kept getting a pain in her head. As it was an unusually mild spring, she thought that it could have been her sinuses. When the librarian showed up the next morning, she found the girl lying face down on the library floor. She was dead. When an autopsy was performed, it showed that she had passed from a brain aneurysm. A couple of my friends who attended Hafey said that for a long time after, every time they passed that library, when the lights were off, they saw a pool of strange light in the exact spot where the girl had died. They insisted that Samantha was still there, performing a job that she never got to finish. I was a big paranormal buff at the time, so I thought they were just appealing to my interests. Instead, they were convinced that if they wanted proof, all we would have to do was go to the school after dark. This was 2009. In 2015, five years after Hafey was finished and transitioned to Holy Family Elementary, I finally plucked up enough courage to see it for myself. I convinced my then-girlfriend Lauren, her cousin Jeff, and my best friend Grant to come along. Grant, Lauren, and Jeff found an open window that was close to the library, so we weren't exactly breaking and entering. It was public property, after all. I don't know if that means anything, but after we got to the library door, we used credit cards to mess with the lock and enter. Grant went to the map room. I checked the atlases, while Lauren and Jeff checked the dark shelves in the back. After an ominous ten minutes, Jeff suddenly began to shout. I ran over to where he was, 
the two others close behind me. When we got to Jeff, he was trembling, pointing at the floor. We all looked down and saw a circle of light. It was about a foot wide and a foot and a half tall. It wasn't in the air or floating like that. It was just flat on the ground, like a light version of one of those pits in cartoons. I told Jeff to knock it off, that he was just using his flashlight. But he looked at me, showing me empty hands, and said, Dude, I didn't bring one. Lauren and Grant had their flashlights in their back pocket, and my pin light was in my belt. That's when we saw a spider walking across the floor. It entered this circle of light, and nothing happened to it. I mean nothing. It didn't even cast a shadow. I put my entire arm over it, and my arm didn't even cast a shadow. Lauren even grabbed a book and tried that. Grant laid down in it in a spread-eagle position, but nothing we did caused shadows to appear. However, Grant did say that it felt cold to touch. I hesitantly reached down and tried it myself, and he was right. The light was cold. I immediately decided that we should leave, but before we did, Grant said, There's not even a light fixture here. That was enough for me. We all ran out then. Grant and I looked at each other, then nodded. As I looked back, the circle began to shrink until it disappeared. My guess is that it was Samantha showing us to get attention, telling us that she was there. She's always there. Might always be there. Now I know for sure that HFA is haunted. I hope the students intending now don't encounter it. Because if they do, the news will be all over it. And that dead girl will probably never find peace. Oh my god. From Country 1989. This happened in 2009. I've been driving trucks for a while, and the story I'm sharing now takes the cake for all the bizarre things that I've seen. In 2009, I was hauling mostly hopper bottoms, some blood powder, some bone mill, even a few DG-13 corn runs. But every once in a great moon, I'll pull a wagon or livestock trailer. On this occasion, I was hauling a load of late feeder calves for a feedlot out of Indiana. I was going to West Virginia. The destination was a rural farm in Wolf County. We made it there just fine, me and the mini steak family in the back. After unloading, oddly enough, the farmer asked me to do a big favor. I replied, what do you got in mind? He said he's got a couple of dead pigs that need gone so he asked me to haul them off to a local rendering plant, and to convince me further, he offered a few extra Benjamins for the extra time. I agreed to do it. It was already in the direction I was heading back. Plus, extra money is nice. So he helped me throw the two dead pinks in the back. Then I went back on the road. Later in the night, I stopped off the narrow two-lane road into an old gravel pit, it was one of those old side-road gravel lots that state boys throw their toys into while they continue their road to work. By then it was about 11.30 p.m. 
Me and Gunny, my blue-nosed pit bull, needed some rest, and I needed to work on my logbook first. Where we stopped, for some reason, I got a bad vibe all over my body, and even for Gunny, who was starting to act strange. At the moment, I thought maybe we should head down the road a little bit, to see if there was something better, or at least not as weird. But as I was so tired, I reminded myself that I've stayed in worst blocks back in Chicago. Plus, I didn't want to run into any police, curious about my locks. So we hopped in the bunk and fell asleep. Two hours later, I hear a bang and a clank. I fly up, shouting curses. Gunny is perched up tail between his legs, growling but obviously scared. He's showing his teeth. The entire time the truck is rocking back and forth, there's something in the trailer being moved around. I immediately think that someone or something is trying to break into the trailer. Moments later, it all stops. My windows were down at the time to let the breeze in, so I could stay cool without running the truck. I know what you're thinking. Windows down in the spooky woods. What a bad idea. I crawl back up to the driver's seat to check things out. I turn the keys back and proceed to start rolling the windows back up. In this truck, the driver's side window goes up faster, so I watched it go up first, and then I went to the other side to watch it go up even slower. And when I did, Gunny jumped in my lap, barking and showing his teeth again. When I looked over where the window was, there was a face there. There were eyes looking back at me. The thing's head was huge, and its face was like a dog's, but twice as large. Its ears were covered in hair, with shagged hair covering its body. Its teeth were absolutely huge, too. There was row after row of stained yellow teeth. I saw him pull his head back, then lean into the window. I swear to God the creature smirked at me, then began to growl. Then, with human-like fingers, it started to tap its nail on the glass. The whole time, Gunny is going crazy. The animal outside suddenly decides that it's had enough. It turns and walks away slowly. By then, I'm desperately trying to get the truck out of there, to get away from this thing. I turn the headlights on and pull backward. When I did... I saw how big this thing was. It was at least eight feet tall, with a body like some bodybuilder. Its fur was all long and mangy and black, with some parts being crimson red, like they were stained from blood. Its legs were all bent backward like a dog's legs, and its tail was bushy like a wolf. Dragging along the ground behind it was one of the dead pigs that I had in the trailer. When I looked more closely, there was another one of those creatures, and it was dragging the other pig behind it. The one in the back housed something fierce. It vibrated the metal of the rig, causing me to shudder, and my dog wet himself. To his defense, my dog was in my lap, so it could have been me that did that. We hightailed it out of there, driving another 45 miles to a different truck stop. I get out to check the trailer. My roll door was halfway bent out. These roll gates are meant to hold cows up to 1,500 pounds, but these things bent it, 
All I'm saying is this whole thing was unreal. For weeks, then months, then years, I coped with the logic of it all, not understanding it, but still knowing that it really all happened. I've run that same route hundreds of times since, but I'll never stop near that road. Two months back, I was going through that stretch of highway. They've got a little gas station down there, and one time, before I made it to my destination, my truck was acting up and the engine light came on, so I stopped there for a moment to check if everything was good. I went inside and the clerk said, Everything good? All I could say was, Glad I didn't break down two miles back there. I smiled, grabbed a can of skull, and was off like a dirty shirt. Makes me think, those bumps in the night, they're more than just wind or your house settling. The Shadow That Follows From Melinda Whatever this thing is, it won't leave me alone. Let me start from the beginning. It was four years ago, and I lived in a small town. It seems almost no one had heard of little Nibley, Utah. I've had strange encounters here my whole life, but this one really scares me. I live on a small half-acre lot with a fence on the home behind mine and to the right of the house, but not to the left. The neighbors to the left had a small part of their backyard barren for gardening, so it was almost always empty. And my yard right beside the patio was our playground, and in the back of my yard stood a tall maple tree. My first issue with this creature was when I was ten. My neighbors with the garden had a black cat, and I would play with him from my playground swing set. I would laugh at him and chase him through weeds. Today was one of those days, just playing and having fun, when the cat suddenly froze. His back began to arch, hair standing on end. He was staring towards the garden at my neighbor's house. I looked up at the empty lot, but I didn't see anything. He kept this up for a good minute before returning to normal. Unfortunately, a few weeks after this, they found him on their back porch with a hole in his neck. A few months later, they got two new kittens, both of which were black and white. Two years later, my little sister and I were playing with one of the cats when the same thing happened. It froze, looked at the garden, and hissed. And same as before, it passed away with a mysterious wound. Everything was silent until I turned 14 and we got our own black cat, named Katniss. We'd also gotten our yard fenced in to stop my siblings from playing in the road. I was in the backyard, lying with my cat on my stomach, and she immediately perked up, staring at the neighbor's garden through the fence, before running over to the fence and growling at something. I panicked and followed it, though I know you're not supposed to touch a cat when they're in defensive mode. So I peered over the fence to shoo off whatever may be annoying my cat. This time, I saw it. A shadowy figure, devoid of any light, save for its round yellow eyes. It was squatting in the garden and staring at my cat. As soon as it saw me, I couldn't move. Just from the way it looked at me, I knew it was hostile. 
I scooped up my angry cat and ran to the garage. I kept her locked in there for several days so that she would not get attacked like the others. In fact, I still have her to this day. I'm 17 now. She's healthy and doing well. A few months after that, I forgot about the incident. I had chalked it up to me hallucinating. One day, my sister and I grabbed our sleeping bags and climbed into the playground for a sleepover. Things went smoothly at first, but at some point during the night, I heard a soft, trilling noise that woke me up. When I opened my eyes, I saw those yellow eyes again. They were looking at me from my tree across the yard. I didn't scream, but I didn't look away. Instead, I snuggled up with my sister and stayed awake, even when the eyes disappeared. Fast forward a few months, a few days before my 15th birthday, I heard tapping on my bedroom window. The first few nights it happened, I ignored it, but then I decided to be dumb and peek through the curtains the last time, only to see the creature grinning at me through the window. After that, I began waking up with bruises and scratches all up my legs that would fade away within an hour. And no matter what I did, it wouldn't stop. The only thing that made it stop was when my family moved away in January 2019. But back in May, the bruises came back. And I have no idea how to get rid of it. I'm genuinely terrified for my life. I'm an avid hunter and have been for most of my adult life. A little backstory before this happened. I'm a marksman and I was a rifleman in the army. I've been hunting on and off since I was 15 years old and I've been hunting consistently now for the last five years. So I'm no stranger to the woods of West Tennessee and the sounds that are supposed to be normal. I had taken my children's 410 single-shot shotgun out to do some squirrel hunting, since it is a nice snack for me and the kids. It was about 30 minutes before the twilight part of dusk when I departed to the woods behind the house. I'd been out for about five minutes when I saw a squirrel jumping from tree to tree. I decided to follow it as I slowly eased the hammer back on the shotgun, shouldering it and taking aim. I fired just below the squirrel, because with me being 29 and using a youth model shotgun, I had to compensate for the difference in build that the gun is rated for. After I fired, I looked around the tree before making my way through the swamp area where it was at. The swamp is only ankle deep here, so no real worries, just annoying walking through leaf-filled water because you can't see the holes that may be there. I made my way toward the tree. Now, past the swamp is a small creek that is a little more than ankle-deep, but can be knee-deep in some places. As I cross into that creek, things got weird. I walked over to the tree and saw that there was no squirrel around it. Not uncommon, since this gun is made for a ten-year-old, and I'm thirty. As I start to wander around to see if maybe the squirrel was alive and crawling around, I heard my daughter screaming. She yells loud enough to hear a mile away, but the kids and my wife are at the play area, 
over 200 yards from where I'm at. So, no surprise that I heard her. What bothered me, though, was I began hearing a humming sound, followed by footsteps coming from all around me. I'm pulling 360s looking around as I draw my Taurus judge from my pocket, loading it with four tin shells. I then hear what sounded like my youngest son, yelling, yay, like he does when he sees me. I lower the gun, thinking that maybe they're going to meet me at the edge of the woods. As I cross the creek heading back, I only hear the humming noise. I call my wife on the phone, and when she answers, my first question is, Hey, where are you guys at? She replied, We're at the play area. Why? My blood instantly runs cold as I bring my gun up again. Did you... Did you guys ever come close to where I'm hunting? I asked. We've been up here this whole time. Why? Are you okay? I then explained to her the noises I've been hearing, what's been going on over the last few minutes, and now she's worried about me. What are you going to do? She asked. I'm going to start heading your way, okay? I let her know as I walk through the swamp and back toward the trail, between my ponds and toward my backyard. The humming noise has stopped ever since I left the swamp, though, but as I walked toward my family, I hear and I see my son humming. The hum is identical to what I heard in the woods, but I know it wasn't him. It couldn't have been him that I was hearing in the woods. He's a very quiet child, and we were way too far apart to hear him out there. Better yet, the sound of him humming now, as I watched him, was more quiet than the sound of humming that I heard out there, as if the sound in the woods was closer. I'm a firm believer in the paranormal and supernatural, and I wholeheartedly feel and fear that something was trying to trick me or lure me. If so, I'm afraid that I'm in danger, and perhaps my family. Maybe we entered its territory without knowing, and it doesn't want us here. The Beast of North Carolina I'm from North Carolina have lived in Florida for a good chunk of my life. Every now and then, my family and I head back up to our house in the mountains to check on the place and enjoy the scenery and whatnot. I do love going up there, visiting my old home, but after what happened last time, I think I'll stay down in the Sunshine State for a while, as what I'm about to tell you may keep me from ever going back to that house again. This happened when I was 16, back in December of 2018, roughly a year ago. My family and I were heading up to the house in North Carolina for a family reunion the first week after Christmas. I was hesitant about going at first, but it had been a couple of years since I last went home. Not to mention the opportunity to take off a whole week of work sealed the deal for me. We left on a rainy Monday mid-morning. The ten-hour drive was pitiful, given the rain, as my dad spun out a few times and his temper was 
through the roof. Once we got to the house, it was around 7 p.m. and was already dark. When we got all of our stuff inside and unpacked, we had turned on the water, cable, and all that jazz. My grandparents arrived shortly after, and we helped them unpack their stuff as well. My mom started cooking us dinner while my sister Jane and I were walking towards the door to go take a brief walk in the woods behind the house outside. But that's when my grandpa took hold of us and stopped us. Where do you two think you're going? He said. Just going on a walk in the woods a little bit till dinner's ready, I replied. He gave me a strange look. I wouldn't do that if I were you. Those woods can be dangerous at night. What do you mean? Jane asked him. He went on about how there were wild animals out there that could hurt us, and roots in the ground that we could trip over. Just basically everything he could think of to keep us from going out there that night. Odd. Jane and I listened to him and agreed not to go outside. We didn't want to make him mad. Dinner was ready soon after, and we all ate some chili my mother had cooked up for us. Then we went to bed early. That night, given the long day and drive we'd had, everyone was pretty tired. I stayed in the room upstairs that I used to when I was a kid. Not too big and not too small, and it had two windows on the wall in the back of the room. Now, this next part is a little embarrassing, but I was listening to some music with an AirPod in one ear while getting ready for bed when I remembered that I'd brought my THC vape pen with me. I was going through some things at the time and I used it as a stress reliever, but still I never should have turned to that. Anyway, I was about to take a hit from it when I heard something outside the window. The woods are behind our house, so that's what I was facing once I looked out the window. I noticed that the outside house lights were on, so someone forgot to turn them off before bed. As I was glancing outside, I saw a figure peeking behind one of the trees right outside the woods, and they seemed to be peering in at me. I turned off the light in my room to get a better look at it, and I really wish I hadn't. What I was looking at was an insanely large figure. I know I was on the second story of the house, but my god, this being had to be at least seven or eight feet tall. I got a look at its face, and it looked like the face of a German shepherd. I thought, why in the world would a dog be standing on its hind legs, peeking behind a tree like that? And how was it so far off the ground? I got a better look. I could see razor-sharp teeth in its maw, and it honestly looked like this thing was smiling. But you know how dogs do. Their smiles actually being a sign of aggression or anger. Those eyes, though, those dark red, soul-piercing eyes, they were something that I can't forget. Its arm was wrapped around the tree, after I noticed that arm, I noticed that it didn't have paws or anything like the sort. Instead, it had hands like a man, and its arm was big and strong like a bodybuilder. I was horrified, to say the least. The only thing I could compare it to was some sort of werewolf straight from a horror film. 
as it continued to grin at me. I then watched it wave. I froze. I couldn't move a muscle even if I wanted to. I think this creature knew that and was enjoying every second of my torment. I heard my sister call my name from the hallway then. I could move again, so I quickly put away my vape pen, and I went to see what she wanted, still trembling. When she saw me, my sister asked what was wrong. She could tell something was off. I rolled my shoulders and said I just was watching some horror movies, because obviously she wouldn't have believed me if I told her what I saw outside. After she went back to bed, I shut all the doors and windows, making sure they were locked, making darn sure that thing could not get in if it tried, although I'm sure nothing would have stopped it. I did take one last glance outside before locking up, and that creature was gone. I tried to take my mind off of it, but I couldn't. As I tried to sleep, the night grew late, and instead of a good rest, I received something else. In the middle of the night, I heard a deep and gut-wrenching howl from the woods, which made sure that I would not be sleeping that night. I never told anyone about this, as no one would believe me. I avoided those woods the rest of the trip and never felt happier to leave. What I saw that night will haunt me for the rest of my days, but I am simply glad it didn't try to break into the house, because I know for a fact it would not have ended well for anyone. If you live in the west side of North Carolina, be careful, because there's something in the woods, and it watches you through your window. Dweller in the Forest This happened in 2015. I was 19 years old. I'm from Scotland and was studying forestry at the time. The course took me to many a wooded area and forest. I was in a dense pine and spruce forest, which had been planted for timber production in the heart of Dumfries and Galloway. It was mid-October and around 3 p.m., when I entered through the tree line. As high as the sun was at the time, little light managed to reach through the forest floor, which was littered with branches and needles. Hardly any vegetation grew on the actual ground, and there was really only sporadic patches of moss. It was gradually getting darker as I continued to make my way into the woods. I decided at one point to find a spot to sit down in a patch of light, to have a drink of water and a snack. Around twenty-five minutes had passed until I finally found a good small clearing. It was about four meters in diameter with a high stump near the center of it. There were also a few bushy pine saplings growing opposite of the stump, on the edge of the clearing. With a deep breath, I sat down, and I began to relax, taking a bottle of water and a sandwich from my rucksack. I was sitting there for maybe five minutes taking my time to eat and drink. I was admiring the sun shining down on me and the sound of the wind blowing through the trees. But there was an interruption. 
I heard a loud thumping on the forest floor, like someone was throwing very large rocks as hard as they could onto the ground. The sound would happen every four or five seconds, and seemed to be only about fifteen meters outside of the clearing. They were getting closer, though, with each thump. I thought it must have been a massive stag, clomping to the ground, but it didn't sound like the methodical footfalls of a deer, or any animal that I knew, for that matter. Then I heard another distinct noise, like a very large and very heavy object being dragged along the ground. I stopped eating to listen more carefully, internally wondering just what sort of animal decided to come join me. At this point, I was honestly more curious than afraid. It soon made its way to the edge of the clearing, and was rustling its way through the saplings. Then it emerged, first its arm and then the entire front half of its grotesque body came into my view. I sat there, frozen on the stump. I was like a terrified statue, not moving, just barely breathing, staring wide-eyed at this obscene creature. I took it all in at once. It had an overall vaguely human shape. Its skin was a ragged and mottled pale yellow, like milk left to curdle out in the sun for days. Small patches of darker skin, gray or off-white, were on its neck. Every single bone looked to be thin, stretched and brittle underneath skin, yet the joints of its fingers, elbows, and wrists were swollen, almost comically large, and seemed to be weighing the thing down, as if every movement was a struggle to lift its limbs. Its hideous face was seared into my mind when I got it all in. The eyes were large and bulbous like that of an insect, protruding outward, covering the top half of its head, which was the same sort of shade as the mottled patches of skin. They had no iris or pupil that I could see. It seemed to be filled with an unmoving liquid, almost like the entire eye was a cataract, and bulged slightly outward. A putrid-looking deep and vertical wound or orifice was on the lower half of its face. Strips of its bloody flesh swayed as it moved and a slimy, blunted tongue hung limp and foul, about thirty centimeters in length from in between the torn skin directly beneath the eyes. Ragged exhales and hoarse, gargling inhales was all I could hear during this. No birds, no wind, or anything of the like. Its head was wider and more stout-looking than a human's, connected to a pair of narrow shoulders by seemingly no neck. The rest of its body was mundane compared to the head and face. It was elongated and emaciated. Abnormally long fingers and toes, but the limbs were in moderate proportion to a man of over six feet. Yet even still, they were bent and twisted in a manner that would rip muscles and tendons in a normal person. The way the creature moved was more of a twitch, like some sort of offbeat staccato rhythm or a lizard moving in increments. It did not look at me directly, though it was facing in my direction. Altogether, half a minute had passed by then. It appeared to be cautious while I sat on that stump for what seemed like an eternity, petrified. Eventually, however, the creature turned around, bones creaking and pained, its mouth emanating a rattling moan 
in a raspy tone. The noise reverberated in the silent woods and lasted nearly an entire minute. During the encounter, I'd made my peace with it. I honestly believed that my life would be at an end here, that I was at the mercy of this being, and that no one would ever find me. Grabbing my bag, I shot up and dashed back into the woods, in the opposite direction of where I saw it. The sun had not completely gone down yet, so I made my way well enough. I didn't stumble or lose my footing, but I was pretty much without sense of where I was. No identifying landmarks besides that clearing. Thankfully, after a few minutes of panicked jogging, I found a dirt road used by forestry vehicles, which had a clear pale gray sky at one end. I bolted towards it, and I wasn't that far away from the exit, thankfully. I followed the track out of the forest, and eventually connected to a main road. Finally knowing where I was, not far from the public entrance where I left my car, ten minutes later and I was inside my little hatchback, radio blasting, high beams on, and doors locked shut. I was shaking still, taking deep breaths. I calmed down well enough once I was distracted and headed back into town. I went straight to the bed and breakfast where I was staying. I packed up and left within the hour, though. I've been to countless other forests since then, and have never experienced a single thing close to that. Nothing close to being paranormal or unnatural. I've asked friends, family, and co-workers if they've seen anything unusual in the woods, but they just either mention ghosts, drug-related activity, or dead animals. This doesn't bother me as much since the years have gone by, but I'm always apprehensive about going into any woodland alone and in the dark. Someone keeps breaking into my back garden at night. Someone, or perhaps even something, keeps breaking into my back garden at night. I only noticed it about a week ago. It was late one afternoon, and I'd gone into the garden to fetch a storage box I'd left in my dad's tool shed. For reference, my garden is quite long and narrow, with a tall wooden fence providing some level of privacy for my neighbors on either side. My dad had built a small tool shed that sat at the end of the garden, and behind the shed a tall metal gate opened out onto a back alley that ran along the back of the houses on my street. As I grabbed the box and shut the shed door, starting to make my way back to the house, I suddenly heard a creaking noise coming from behind the shed. I paused and strained my ears to listen. The noise was much louder this time, and I almost dropped the box in fright. What in the world was that, I thought. I placed the box on the floor and proceeded to head around the back of the shed. To my confusion, the padlock that usually kept the gate shut was now lying on the ground broken into two separate pieces. And that creaking sound turned out to be the now open gate, swaying in the late afternoon breeze. We always kept the gate locked to stop anyone from trying to get into our garden from the alley. 
Yet there the heavy-duty padlock was, had been cut through, and now laid discarded on the ground. My immediate thought was that a burglar had gained access to our garden. When they might have gotten in, I can't be sure, but the thought that someone had been so determined to get inside that they broke the padlock freaked me out. I immediately headed back inside the shed, pulled out a couple of extra padlocks we kept inside, and I proceeded to shut the gate, and this time, I double padlocked the gate for safety. Satisfied that the gate was now once again secure, I locked up the shed and headed back inside. I told my family that someone had broken the lock on the gate. My family members, though worried at the thought of someone coming into the garden, told me not to worry about it too much, that we should just keep an eye on things for now. That night, I couldn't sleep, though. It's hard to explain, but the moment I entered my bedroom to go to bed, I was overtaken by this intense sense of dread. The whole incident with the gate was scarier for me, but I felt it wasn't enough to warrant this intense sense of fear that I felt. I mean, my dad and older brother, who I lived with, were two big hulking men, and more than intimidating enough to scare off any would-be intruder. But, seeing as my room sat at the back of the house, overlooking the garden, it was hard not to think about someone trying to sneak in again. Eventually, I started to drift off, but suddenly, I was immediately brought back to full consciousness by the sound of a loud clanging reverberating through the garden. I should point out that the reason I heard this so clearly is because I always slept with my window slightly ajar. I always did this no matter what, as my room was always stuffy during the night. I sat straight up in bed, and I continued to listen. I heard the sound of metal creaking, followed by the sounds of heavy footfalls coming down the paved path that ran down the length of the garden. My heart began to raise. Then, the speed of the footsteps increased as if the person was running full sprint toward the house, and then I heard a loud bang against the back door. I screamed, and immediately bolted out of the room down the stairs, dialing 999, our version of 911, as I did so. I frantically checked to make sure both the front and the back door were locked, while my frenzied dash about the house woke up my dad and brother. The police were called, and by the time that I explained to my family that I had heard the back gate open and the sounds of footsteps, followed by the loud bang on the back door, the two officers searched the garden and alley for an intruder. But their search turned up nothing. Despite me distinctly hearing the gate to the alley creek open again, the officers found that the gate was still locked up tight, with both padlocks in place. There was no sign of anyone breaking into the garden, and I got a sense from the officers that they did not believe my story. But to their credit, they did agree to patrol the area and keep watch outside the house for a while just in case anything else happened. But of course, the rest of the night was uneventful. The two officers stopped by the next morning 
confirming that there had been no other signs of an intruder lurking about. They told us to let them know if anything further happened, and they left. But every night since then, I've heard those same footsteps. The second night it happened, I called my brother into my room and asked him to listen. The footsteps went on, but my brother said he heard nothing. Now my brother looks at me like I'm crazy. The third night I heard it, I asked my dad to search the garden, but he found nothing. And now even my dad looks at me with the most pitying looks. He thinks I didn't hear his phone call with the doctor about me hearing things, but I did. It's been a week since the first incident, and I swear every night the footsteps get louder. Yet, I'm the only one that hears them. I'm scared. Maybe I really am going crazy. But what if I'm experiencing something real? I just hope that my boarded-up window and barricaded bedroom door are enough to keep out whatever or whoever it is. Encounter in the Woods My little sister Maddie and I would go in the woods and make forts and stuff all the time. We would spend hours playing out there. One day we took my little cousin up there as well. He wanted to see what it was like. It was raining that day. We were on our way up and my little sister looked a bit scared. The rain was coming down a bit hard and the sky was overcast. But I didn't mind. My little cousin was acting normally, so my little sister calmed down, and we began to work on my big fort that I'd started on previously. We were trying to make a little fort village. A couple of hours later, we went for a walk to find some sticks to make walls, but then we found something else, a very eerie-looking cave. Just looking towards it made me shiver. I think it scared all of us in some way, but then the little ones got too scared and ran back to the house, leaving me standing in front of the cave alone, and it was starting to get dark out. There was something wrong about this cave. I couldn't really put my finger on it, but one thing's for sure. I could not stop staring into the opening into the dark void that filled the inside, and I did not stop staring, even as something alive and pale began to crawl out of it. This creature was about six feet long, without a tuft of hair on its body. It had black claws and eyes that matched. They were moist little black marbles, with no life inside them. I felt as if I was going to pass out. The smell that accompanied the creature was awful. It was like a rotting body, yet this creature was very much alive. Then I did something without thinking. I ran for my life. I ended up tripping on a tree root in my hurry, and I fell down the hill, cutting my leg open on a sharp stick. My adrenaline was pumping so I didn't even bother paying attention to it. I just kept running. I could hear something crawling frantically behind me, but I made it out of the woods alive. I looked back when I thought I was safe, and I could see it from the tree line, 
going back into its little dark cave. I found my sister and cousin crying in my sister's room. Our parents weren't home at the time. They asked me why I was bleeding. I had to do it. I had to lie to them and tell them that I was fine, and that I'd simply slipped on the driveway. I cleaned up my wound and acted like nothing happened. But now I'm too scared to go back in the woods at all. That's the end of my little story. Just keep one thing in mind. If you're ever out in the woods of British Columbia, Canada, and you happen upon some half-built stick forts, you might soon see something pale and crawling on four legs. Well, how'd you like today's stories? What if I told you one of them was a creepypasta? Which one would you guess? Let me know in the comments. And thank you for watching. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you want to share your story with us, send it to us at darkstories.org. If you'd like to support the show, check out the links below. There's a link to my Patreon where you can donate and keep us afloat, and a link to my merch store to get some creepy shirts. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite comments from the previous episode, titled, Something is Killing People in Cairnborms National Park. And if you talk about it, you'll be arrested. Tish NLMS says, Hells to the Yessa. Had me thinking I better not leave this comment or they'll know I know and disappear me. Well, now I'm reading it. And now they'll know I know you know that they know. Good luck. Hastia Art says, Great timing. I'm drawing a murderous character right now. Well, if you'd tweet me on Twitter, I'd love to see what you drew. Just at me with... At Dark Prevails. Jamie Trite says, WTF, the SCP Foundation, they're here. This story definitely did sound like an SCP story, but have you ever wondered if the real world has its own SCPs? And just some Bigfoot with internet access says, that's why we Bigfoots never go to Karen Gorm's National Park. Oh, don't you lie. I know it was just a shaved and especially feverish one of you trying to prank people. And Jared Slater says, The first five seconds reminds me of checking your phone after blacking out at a party the night before. Who knows, Jared? Maybe that's what happened to me. But I damned well wasn't at a party. You gotta have friends for those. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry because more scary stories are on the way soon. So stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They're great people. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. Are you getting sleepy? Been a long day at work? Are you ready to relax and drift off into nightmares? Well, these stories are perfect for you. Today I've got an assortment of creepy true stories written by subscribers and sent to me for your resting and listening pleasure. 
So close your eyes and rest your head. You can trust me, but I'm not sure you can trust whatever it is that's opening your closet door. If you have a story of your own, share it with us at darkstories.org. Now, let's begin. They told me they'd leave you alone. I remembered this story when I was driving home late the other night, and just thinking about it really creeped me out. This didn't happen to me, but I did hear it from my ex-girlfriend's grandma years ago, about a friend of hers. We'll call her Grandma, Grandma Z. Z worked as a therapeutic masseuse at a spa in a nice little town in northwest Arkansas. To give you a bit of an idea of what kind of person Z was, she lived in a little stone cottage with a shrine to a Hindu holy man as its centerpiece, and she carried pipe tobacco in her Volvo to sprinkle on roadkill. Now, she claimed it was a Native American ritual to help ferry the animal spirit into the next life, or something along those lines. She was a nice enough woman, but obviously a bit eccentric. That being said, she seemed sincere and a little more than creeped out when she told us her story. Another masseuse that Z was close to at the spa, I'll call her M, arrived at work one day in the middle of the week in a haggard state. M was a young woman in her early thirties. She was friendly, and most of the time she had a bubbly personality. But on that day, she was aloof, downcast, and had bags under her eyes. Z noticed this the moment she walked in the door, but with work to do, she waited for a better time to ask M if everything was okay. When lunch came around, Z approached her friend and asked what was wrong. M brushed it off initially, saying that nothing was wrong, that she was simply tired. But Z persisted. M began to tear up then, and started to sob. Z embraced her and told her it was going to be alright, that she could share what was on her mind if she needed to. M's sobs subsided a little, and she began to speak, but then stopped. What she had to say, she told Z, was too crazy, and Z would never believe her. Z told him that she'd be surprised at what she may or may not find believable. So M composed herself a bit, and then began her story. M, her husband, and young son lived in a house about twenty miles outside of town. The house and the property were beautiful, essentially the couple's dream home. It included plenty of acreage nestled in a valley in the Ozark Mountains, and the house had a huge picture window in the living room, overlooking the valley and the forested mountains beyond. The night before, she'd awakened around 3 o'clock a.m. Nothing had startled her awake, no nightmares, no having to pee, but, but something had definitely awakened her, something that she wasn't aware of just yet. She lay in bed in the dark for a while, listening in the silence, trying to go back to sleep, but she couldn't. 
She then carefully rolled out of the bed, trying not to wake her husband, and then she made her way through the dark house to the kitchen for a snack. As she walked through the lightless living room, she looked out of the picture window and froze. There was something standing on the deck just outside, a small silhouette outlined in starlight. She studied the shape in wide-eyed fear as it stood motionless on the deck overlooking the valley. It seemed to be looking up. Her shock turned to concern and confusion when she realized what the figure was. It was her eight-year-old son. She quickly flung the sliding door to the deck open and wrapped the boy in her arms, asking, Are you okay, honey? What's wrong? What are you doing out here? I'm... I'm looking at the lights, he said. Then he pointed out into the clear night sky. She followed the direction of his finger and saw several orbs of soft red, blue, and orange lights hovering over the valley. They were like bright stars at first, but then they moved slowly, deliberately into a formation. First a line, and then a cross, and then a diamond, and finally something that resembled the Big Dipper. There was nothing natural about their movement. They could not be shooting stars or aircraft. They weren't moving like that. It was like they were some sort of signal, almost as if they were communicating with something or someone. Im released her son from her arms and stood up hypnotized, staring at the lights too, as they changed formations and pulsated from dim to bright and back to dim again. Her son tugged on the hem of her nightshirt and said that he was cold. She broke her trance and took her son quickly by the shoulder, leading him inside impatiently. She slid the door closed behind her and locked it, doing her best not to look back out over the valley. She closed the blinds on the big window in the living room and ushered her son into her bedroom to sleep with her and her husband, with the lights on. M stopped talking and looked up at Z, who looked back at her with eyes widened in amazement. She began to sob again. Do you want to hear the really crazy part? The reason why this is so, so scary? Z's mouth hung open as she thought about how to respond. Before she could reply, M continued. Her father was a physicist who'd worked at a government lab in New Mexico. He was never able to tell her what exactly he did for reasons of national security, so to say. While working in the southwest, he'd fallen in love with the region's harsh but beautiful mountains and desert landscapes. After divorcing M's mother and retiring early with a handsome government pension, he bought a small ranch in Arizona. In the summertime, M, then a young girl, would stay with her father at his ranch. It was a very remote property, part of its allure for him. It was in the foothills of some mountains in the desert, but it had access to a water source, and there was a small pond back behind the ranch house, overgrown with tall cattails. Early in the afternoon one summer day, 
M's father left the ranch to run some errands in the nearest town. It was a brutally hot day, and M did not want to ride in the stifling hot truck, so she begged her father to let her stay so she could swim in the pond. Reluctantly, he agreed. Once her father had left, M put on her bathing suit and made her way down a small path of hot rocks and sand to the pond behind the house. The sky was almost impossibly blue in the clear, torturous Arizona summer heat. A slight breeze rustled the reeds and scrub brush, but it was otherwise silent, as if all the animal life had perished or gone underground to escape the relentless desert heat. As Im rounded the bank of cattails that obscured the pond from the house, she froze at an unexpected encounter. Three tall beings were standing on the opposite side of the pond. They were all identical and stood facing her as she came into view, as if, as if they'd been waiting for her. Im couldn't move. Whether that was from pure fear or something else, she couldn't tell. All she could do was stare in horror and disbelief at these things. They stood about seven feet tall, each one completely indistinguishable from the other, as if they were clones or triplets or mirrored images of each other. They were vaguely humanoid, two unusually long and skinny arms that ended in spindly hands with long fingers, two long and thin legs, slender, elongated torsos, and skinnier necks. Their heads were long but proportional to the height and build of these things, whatever they were. They had ruddy tan and completely hairless skin, and wore what seemed to be blue, skin-tight jumpsuits. But the strangest and most awful aspect of these things were their faces. They were completely featureless save for the eyes. No mouth, no ears, no nose. Just two somehow human-looking, but somehow not human-looking, eyes set into the blank, tanned plane of their faces, staring dispassionately and emotionlessly at him. She blinked once, and soon found herself lying on the floor of her father's living room, right on her back. She was wrapped in the towel she'd taken with her to the pond, as if she'd been swaddled in it. The sun had gotten significantly lower in the sky. She could tell by the way it slanted in through the yellow blinds of the windows at a long angle. She sat up, confused and beginning to panic. She heard the ticking of the old grandfather clock and looked over at it. The time read 5 p.m. She'd somehow lost nearly three hours of time. How? How's that possible? How had she even gotten back to the house? Just as strangely, she was completely dry. Not a bead of sweat had gathered on her even though her father's house lacked air conditioning and was sickly hot. Her father arrived not long afterward, pulling his truck down the long driveway of the ranch. When he entered the house with his sack of groceries, he found him in a state of distress. She told him in a panicked frenzy what she'd seen, what had happened to her at the pond, 
how she'd somehow lost three hours of her life. The old physicist stared coldly into the distance, waiting for his daughter to finish the story, then told her, But they told me they'd leave you alone. M was shaking and began to cry again. Z held her and she buried her face in Z's arms. That's why I'm afraid, she said. I'm afraid that they came back for my son. The Gray Creature I lay in bed one morning, as I always do, scrolling through social media until I received a call from Bill, my grandfather. Bill asked me and my little brother, Ryan, if we wanted to go on a trip down to a small cabin he and his brother built. Me and Ryan immediately agreed, as it would be a great time for all of us. So when he came over to our house to pick us up, we started joking and cutting up, teasing one another about Sasquatch and other creatures like we always did. The ride was around two and a half hours long, but we broke the silence by starting up random conversations. As we passed time through these conversations, we were all ready to just have a great time together at the cabin. Once we made it there, I was so excited to begin our stay. We went about getting unpacked and ready for the night, arranging our beds and rooms. By nightfall, we were all exhausted. So we cozied up in the living room, watching some paranormal show, but I was more interested in watching the back of my eyelids, to be honest. I woke up multiple times through the night, not knowing why. I only assumed it was because of me not being at home. At one point, I woke up at around 2.30 a.m. I had to use the restroom. I told Bill where I was going just in case something happened, as I'd have to use the restroom outside. The place did not have a toilet. I made my way outdoors, turning the cabin light on, which was bright enough. I quickly found a spot to use the restroom. I finished up and wanted to casually stand on the porch for a while, to take in the beauty and the fresh air. Bill came out at that point to enjoy it as well. He and I stood there, until I caught something with my eye that was crouching under a tree branch, with some other small trees surrounding the area. I pointed it out to Bill. He wasn't sure what I was pointing at at first, until he spotted it too. This creature was gray, skin stretched taut around every bone, as if it were a morph suit instead of flesh. It was completely nude, and I could not make out any parts of it that would tell me if it was a boy or a girl. Its arms were frail, and its legs were too, though I felt deep inside that this thing could easily kill me if it got its hands on me. As we both watched it, I told Bill to grab a gun as quickly as he could, just in case. And as I said this, the creature took off, bolting across to some small wooded area barely having any trees. This was much closer to the cabin than the previous position. I stood there myself, ready to bolt inside if need be. But Bill soon came back with his gun loaded, and we were ready to stand our ground against this thing. A few seconds later, we see a rabbit come out from those same trees that thing went behind. My gut feeling sensed something wasn't right about it, 
but it quickly ran off to the original position that creature had been, never to be seen again. We waited for a while, waiting for the creature to emerge again, but it never did. We checked the spot it had been hiding, but it was gone, which was impossible as we'd have to see it if it ever came out. We went inside and tried to get some sleep. Bill was more successful at this than I was. The following morning, we told Ryan and my grandfather's brother. Ryan believed us, and my grandfather's brother was skeptical. Bill drove us back that morning, calling off the cabin retreat a bit early, and I was relieved to be at home again and away from those woods. Sometime later, after this incident, we would learn that my grandfather's brother became quite wary of the cabin too, and often refused to go back. Apparently, he had an experience there too, one he doesn't want to talk about, but it obviously scared him. As for me, I think that thing we saw, it was the rabbit too, and though that doesn't make sense, I think this experience was paranormal or supernatural, and it's not going to make sense no matter how I look at it. Creepy Sighting in the Woods Well, I'm a stoner, plain and simple. One time I bought around two to three grams and wanted to smoke some. My parents are very strict about weed, so I couldn't just roll up and smoke in my house. So like an idiot, I thought it would be a good idea to go for a long, blunt walk in the woods. I've done it ten thousand times, and knew exactly what trail I was going to take since I basically lived in these woods as a kid. It must have been around 4.30 p.m., and it was winter, so it gets pretty dark. I didn't care, though. I had a phone and a lighter, so I was good. I also carried my pocket knife everywhere I went, just to be safe. As I was walking through the woods, I'd barely just lit up, when all of a sudden I hear a noise... I shine my light over and see what seems to be a deer. So I roll my eyes and continue my walk. Ten minutes later, I'm starting to feel pretty high and decide it's too cold to walk anymore. I didn't want to ruin my high with the cold. I start my walk back to my house when I see the same deer. But this time, I got a good look at it. It was tall, maybe six foot five, maybe taller. I was 17 and 5'8", so I'm not too small, but I'm definitely not big. After I saw how tall it was, I looked at its body, and it looks like it had been shot. It was bleeding profusely, but it was past hunting hours, and I was less than 200 feet from local apartments, and I was pretty sure I would have heard a gunshot, but I hadn't. After seeing blood, I see its face, and oh my god... Its freaking face was enough to sober me up right away. Its jaw was halfway hanging off of its body. Its skull was showing, but the worst part were the eyes. The cold, dead, black eyes. After standing there, just looking at this thing after a solid minute or two, it begins walking towards me, one step at a time. Its movements were all jagged and jerky like a broken toy that's supposed to be able to walk. I come to my senses after seeing it walk, 
and realize it's on the trail leading back to my house. As I said, though, I basically grew up in these woods. I knew every path and where every path took you. So I turn around and make a break for it. As I do, I hear this ear-piercing scream unlike anything I'd ever heard before. I kept running and running until I made it back home. But the entire time, it sounded like it was right behind me. I make it back to my house and run straight to my room, freaking out. I'd never seen anything like it. I got to school the next morning and had asked my friends if they heard the scream that night, because we all lived pretty close together in the woods. None of them had heard it, and they assumed I just smoked something that was laced, but I know I didn't. I can't just imagine something like this. I've gone back there a few times, but I've never seen it again. I just want some insight about what it could be. I'm hoping that Wendigo or Skinwalker are not native here. The Rat Man For years I've wondered and tried to figure out what this thing could have been, but I've come up with nothing. This is my sister's story, but I'm hoping someone will know what to call it. It all began when we were young. My eldest sister was six years old, and we had just moved into a new house. It happened one night when we had gone to bed. My sister was in her room. She looked down when she heard a crawling sound and saw that a rat with human hands was crawling into her room. She gasped, and it looked up at her with red eyes, and she swears it smiled then proceeded to crawl under her bed. For the next three years, Haley dreamed of it, saw it, and woke up to it right in her face almost every night. She developed insomnia at a very early age and would be up for days at a time, often passing out randomly throughout the day. My mother brought her to doctors and therapists and all Haley would say is that the rat man would not allow her to sleep. It would grab at her feet, chase her through the hallways if she tried to get to her parents' room, scratch at her bedposts. She was a nervous wreck pretty much all the time. The worst was the night she dreamed of the rat man, chasing her up the stairs. She woke up in her bed, only to see rats all over the floor in her room. She screamed so loud it woke up everyone in the house, when my parents ran in and turned on the lights, the rats were no longer there. My mom didn't know what to do about this, thinking she was having some very extreme night terrors. Eventually, when Haley was turning nine, my mom gave her an old lion doll. Apparently, it had been our great-grandmother's. She told her that when she was scared, she could whisper her fears to it, and the doll would protect her. Pretty standard child-stuffed toy stuff. But that was when she stopped seeing the rat. No one really questioned it, just thinking it to be normal childhood stuff. Eventually, children grow out of their fears. Haley eventually forgot about the rat man, until the day she woke up in the middle of the night to the sound of a growl. She looked to her door to see the rat glaring from the doorway. But this time... 
she was not afraid. She drowsily looked over to see the tail of what appeared to be a lion patrolling around her bed. She did not question this, and instead went back to sleep. Now, Haley still sees the rat from time to time. I even saw it once when I woke up in the middle of the night. I even remember seeing the tail of that lion a couple of times. Anytime Haley sees the rat, or even anything else that frightens her, she knows a visit from the lion is coming soon. She doesn't seem to care about what either the rat or the lion are, but I can't handle not knowing what's in my house. I'm glad she's protected. I just wish I knew what that rat-man-thing was. Possible Skinwalker My name is Elijah, but everyone calls me Gator. Last year, my friends and I went camping out in the woods near my home. We live in a small town in North Carolina. The first day of camping went by as usual. We got to the pond and unpacked the car, got some camo set up and lit a fire. The second day is when weird things started happening. We got up to smoke, then went fishing. There's a river half a mile through the woods, so we thought we'd catch something there to eat for the day. As we walked, Zack pointed out some very strange-looking footprints. I hunt quite a bit, and I can tell you readily that the deer down here don't get that big. But these tracks appeared to be bipedal, and oddly enough, they were heading towards our camp. They were fresh enough to have been created after we set up camp, so why they were heading towards our camp, I don't know. Surely they would have heard or smelled us last night. I bent down to look at them more closely. They were almost bigger than my hand, we continued down the trail, talking about the tracks we saw. Finally, we made it to the river. We sat down at our usual spot and began to fish. About an hour later, we had five decent-sized red drums, so we packed up and started heading back. But then we heard a loud scream that went on for at least 15 seconds. It was distant, so I wasn't too worried about it. I tried to calm us all down by saying it was just a panther. There have been a few sighted in that area. When we got back to the camp, we were all still on edge. There were the same tracks we found earlier all around our tents now, three giant claw marks on the side of my tent in particular. Well, it definitely wasn't a deer now. We stirred the fire back up and made some breakfast. The rest of the day was pretty chill. We assumed that the weird activity may have been caused by someone who was trying to prank us or mess with us. We took a few walks and went swimming. And later on, we discussed around the fire what we were going to do over the summer. Afterwards, we went to bed. But I woke up in the middle of the night to the sound of that screaming again. What sent chills throughout my body? was the fact that the sound was closer than before. Too close. I grabbed my Mossberg 500 and climbed out of my tent. My friends Zack and Pipper were already out of theirs. I asked if they'd heard it, and Zack gave me a look like, duh, of course we did. 
I threw a few logs on the fire. We all sat around, listening to the sounds of the woods. Then, suddenly, it got real quiet. The birds and the bugs were suddenly muted. The only sounds that I could hear then were the fire and footsteps. We looked around the camp, trying to see what the footsteps were coming from, until something revealed itself close to the fire. It was hard to see, still, but it was definitely there. Something big, something extremely tall, taller than all of us. We thought it was some person, but they were a little too big. And while it had the body of a man, the fire showed us that its skin was almost solid white. Instead of where the guy's head should have been, instead there was a cervidae-shaped skull. I told Zack to grab the keys from his tent quickly. I looked over at Pipper. He was still staring at the thing. Zack grabbed the keys, and we all jumped into his car. I kept glancing back at the thing, and it didn't move. It only seemed to want to watch us. When we all got in with Zack, he hit the pedal. We went flying down the trails. We must have been driving for five or six minutes, obviously thinking we'd gotten out of Dodge and away from harm. When, suddenly, something massive slammed into the side of the SUV, causing it to raise up a bit and fall back down. We all screamed. Zack floored it, going way faster than he ever should through those trails. Ever since then, we haven't been out camping, and I'm not sure we ever will again. But I'm curious as to who may have had a similar encounter in that area. While I do hope we're not alone in this, maybe it's for the best, because no one would want to encounter this thing. My cousin Rebecca and I would always be out each weekend when we were about eleven, We'd be making dens, riding our bikes through the woods and whatnot. It wasn't far from where my house was, but we picked up the courage to go to a certain wooded area, one that we'd heard many creepy stories about. There was a fence around the perimeter of these woods. If that wasn't a warning sign, I don't know what is. There were a few broken gaps along the fence line that we used to sneak in. We were both quite creeped out of the place. Some of the stories from these woods are enough to send shivers up your spine, especially when you're just eleven. I've heard a story about a goat being tied to a wooden post in the middle of the woods, and if you went near it, a man would come running out and chase you. There are other stories about an unknown man inhabiting these woods, but no one knew what he was or what he wanted. We walked far into the woods, our breathing becoming heavy, and every twig we stepped on seemed ten times as loud as it should have been, causing us to jump. And we soon saw something that made us scream and run together out of those woods and never come back. After hearing some strange noises in the canopy above, our curious child minds forced us to look up and we were met with the source of the noise. Sitting amongst the trees, resting upon one of the many branches, was what appeared to be a large and hairy man. 
and I mean he was covered in hair, even on his face. Before I could tell if he was wearing any clothes or not, the two of us were running away from him, panicked, trembling. We basically fell through the broken fence and across the fields all the way home. We told my mother what we saw. She was understandably shocked. She really didn't know what to say other than, don't ever go back in those woods again. But she didn't need to tell us, because I had no plans on returning there. To this day, I remember this clearly, and I wonder if the younger generations that have dared to go into those woods have a similar story. What did we see back then? Was it some man with a rare hair growth disorder, who happened to enjoy climbing trees in the middle of the woods, or was it something else entirely? Mother's Possession From Mr. Southerner Growing up, my family has had a number of paranormal experiences. I was young back then, and didn't really understand what was going on or why. There were always things turning on by themselves. Things would constantly be thrown. Glasses and dishes would somehow be all over the house in random spots. When I was eleven, I saw something awful. My mother, out of nowhere, fell to the ground, shaking violently in front of me. Now that I'm older, I believe what I witnessed was my mother possibly overdosing. I think she was on something, which is why I believe her habit opened a gateway of paranormal activity into our home and lives. When I was twelve, I had had enough of this and decided to move out of my mother's house, and I began to live with my grandparents. I have three older brothers who stuck it out after I moved out. I then only lived half a mile away from my mother's house, so it wasn't really that far. But my brothers would always call and tell me about the creepy things that happened during the day, and how strange Mom would be acting. Fast forward a year later, I decided I would stay at my mother's house, as two of my brothers were staying at a friend's house for the weekend. That would leave my youngest brother, who was only eight at the time, and I didn't want to leave him by himself there. I asked a friend of mine to come over for the night. He happily did, and we planned to play some video games all night. But that night would instead be forever seared into my mind, for other reasons. Me and my friend and my brother were playing video games. My mom was in the bathroom cleaning. That's when all hell broke loose. All of a sudden, the door slams shut and my mom starts screaming. As I threw my controller down and ran to the door, I could hear my mother screaming in there, Leave me alone, she was saying. No matter how hard I tried to open the door, it wouldn't budge. After a lot of effort, I managed to kick the door open. What I saw inside was my mother in the tub with the shower curtain wrapped around her. As I grabbed her to pull her up, something was forcing her back down, something that I could not see. So, to me, it didn't make any sense. With all my might and that of my friends as well, we managed to get her out of the tub. As we got the shower curtain unwrapped from her body, her arm had blood running down it. 
As we cleaned the blood from her arm, we found these scratch marks running from the top of her arm down to her elbow. We got my mother cleaned up, and she laid down for the night. About an hour after that, me, my friend, and my brother were watching TV in the living room. From there, we were able to keep an eye on my mother's bedroom. At one point in the night, my youngest brother decided to check on her, and as he went to her bedroom and turned on the light, he immediately ran out of the room, screaming, Mom's freaking out! I rushed into my mother's bedroom. I found her spinning around like she was dancing or something. I tried to forcibly sit her back on her bed, but as I do that, she begins trying to bite me and claw at me. I eventually got her set down, and as I do, I noticed her body shaking. Then she simply snapped out of whatever was going on with her. I went to get her a glass of water, and when I returned, I noticed my mother just sitting there with her head looking at the floor. Mom, are you okay? She didn't respond. I asked again, Mom! At that moment, she replied to me. Her response was the thing that is seared into my head. I remember her vividly. She looked up at me very slowly, turning her head, and in a deep and very disturbing voice that did not seem to be her own, I heard her speak the words to me. She'll never be yours. I called my grandparents to come and get my brother and to send my friend home. And despite my fear, I stayed through the night, fighting to stay awake and to make sure my mother didn't get hurt. A few days later, my grandparents called their pastor to come say a blessing over the house after that, the strange and unexplained activity throughout the house seemed to stop. And since that day, I don't watch movies pertaining to demonic possessions, as I don't want to experience anything like that ever again. It's quite traumatizing for a young teenager. Priest House From Frederick I'm from Finland. When I was younger, I was living with my family in a priest house. My mother was a priest. Living together, it was me, my mother, father, and two brothers. And sometimes my grandma would come visit us. Now, for the span of seven years, this house was a living paranormal nightmare. It was a very old house, about 200 years or so, I think. In the beginning, when we moved into it, it was almost like any other normal priest house. But, all in a single day, the paranormal nightmare began. The first happening was when my brother was home, and an old china plate was taken down from the wall. My brother was alone with one friend that day, and asked his friend, We shouldn't play with our old antiques. But my brother's friend insisted that he hadn't touched the plate. My brother trusted this friend, and thought that this was strange. After that, all was normal for a few months. Our family woke up many nights, though, after that, 
hearing something or someone heavily walking around the stairs from the second floor that always stopped at the second door on the first floor. At this point, we all knew there was something strange going on in that house. These creepy phenomena only got worse the longer we lived there, as if something was getting further and further annoyed with our presence. One night, when I was walking to the toilet, I noticed our table and chairs were placed on each other like a pyramid, a scene similar to the one found in the Poltergeist film. When I told my parents about this, they saw it too and went pale. They seemed just as scared and confused as I was. My father got angry for a moment after that, demanding that the rest of the family stay behind him, as he commanded whatever spirits there to get out of his house. He then checked every floor and room, just in case there was some intruder or crazy person messing with us, but there was no trace of anyone else except us. After these events, things worsened. Days after that, I was again walking to the toilet during the night. This time, I walked right into something sticking out of the wood floor, something that wasn't there before. Turning on the light, I couldn't breathe, because what I saw on the floor was a samurai sword that we had for decoration. It was stuck extremely deep through the wooden floor. It was so deep. It was deeper than my dad could get it, which he tested for himself. This disturbed me highly. This exact event happened twice altogether. And after the second time, my father took the sword himself, and he kept it near his bedside, with one eye open for safety. And by that point, we were all sleeping in the same room together, terrified. One night, we woke up, listening to those footsteps again, walking from the second floor, down the stairs, to the room where we all were in. The footsteps stopped right beside my parents' bed. Something tried to grab hold of the sword, which my dad was grasping with both hands. My dad is over 100 kilograms, but this thing nearly yanked him out of the bed like some rag doll. We were all shocked at this point, I remember thinking just how strong this poltergeist must have been, and now each of us had witnessed it directly. All of a sudden, my dad was left alone, and after a silent second or two, something began to remove books from the bookshelf, throwing one of them straight at my dad's head. This house was attacking us. Honestly, horror movies after this did not do the haunting thing justice. Some of them seemed more like comedies after experiencing crap like this yourself. As the months went by, there would be several months with just strange noises around the house that took us a while to get used to. Other months, nothing at all would happen, leaving us hopeful that it was over. During our time at that house, we got a dog, and almost immediately after, it began acting up again. One time, our dog got really angry and began to show his teeth at something that we could not see. He was looking at something at the corner of the ceiling. We named that dog Caxon. Other times, Caxon would be very scared of something, even though we could not place it. Caxon was a smart and fast dog, 
but he never went alone upstairs to the second floor, no matter what we tried to do. The top of the stairs at the second floor, that seemed to be where everything originated and got worse. One time, my two younger brothers ran for their lives downstairs, crying, saying something moved around with them, started grabbing objects around them and moving them and tossing them about. One time when the poltergeist seemed especially angry at Christmas, my dad saw something coming down the stairs. Immediately, my dad grabbed a knife, though I'm not sure what he thought that was going to do to a spirit. But I did catch a glimpse of what he saw. It was a very dark shadow, floating down and up the stairs. It didn't stop until my dad ran up the stairs chasing it with that knife. After that, we heard some screaming from upstairs, as my dad tried and failed to scare it out of the house. When he came back downstairs, he was pale. We asked him what he saw exactly. He told us he had never seen anything so disgustingly evil and vile. He claimed he saw the entity up close and in more detail. It was definitely masculine. He even got close enough to try to stab it, but the moment he passed through its form, he heard this evil-sounding laugh as the dark shadow faded into nothingness. This spirit ruined everything for us. One Christmas even, when my grandma was over, she was so scared by the spirit that after an hour or so of being there, she took an 80-kilometer ride home via taxi just to get away. Our dog seems to have some PTSD from that house as well. He didn't always act so nervous and cautious, but even after moving, he's always like this. Poor baby. We moved away from that house many years ago, and thankfully my family has stopped having any sort of paranormal experience. Nowadays, the priest house is empty. Whenever people do move in, they move out even faster. This was my story, my experiences that taught me that the paranormal was real, and that oftentimes it should be something that is feared. What was this entity? From Shy Silver 23 I've been going to the same church for nine years, and have always felt safe inside. However, there has always been this one part of the church that has what I can only describe as an oppressive aura about it. It was on a Wednesday night around 5.30. It was already dark out, as it was in the early days of December. I brought two of my friends along with me, A and S. We were going to the youth group together at that church that night. I was telling them about this one area of the church that made me feel incredibly uncomfortable, and they immediately took interest. So we decided to go check it out. I didn't exactly like the idea, and tried to talk them into not going through with it. But A and S were hyped, and there was nothing I could do to change their minds. After all, S was dead set on trying to communicate with some sort of spirit. In fact, she was the type of person that carried some things in her purse at all times. 
such as smudge sticks, pendulums, and dishes for ashes, which she had me get out of her bag before we went to explore. She told me first we'd go and check out the area, which was in the very back of the church on the second floor. Fast forward a bit. I brought A and S to the area in question. This place consists of a small hallway with two rooms on one wall and two more rooms on the other wall around the corner. This then goes to two bathrooms and a flight of stairs. So we go into the first room, which ironically is my youth pastor's office, and sit in the dark, not saying a word to one another. S puts her elbow on the desk, holding a pendulum still, and then she asks, Is there a spirit here with us? After waiting a few seconds in the dark and quiet, the pendulum began to swing clockwise on its own. My breath was taken away from me. S smiled and whispered, telling us that that meant yes. As soon as it started to swing, I had a feeling come over me like a slight wind. Goosebumps formed on my arms, and I felt a slight feeling of anger. A must have felt something too because she then looked over at me and asked, Are you angry too? The pendulum then began to swing violently clockwise, causing S to drop it in a panic. As soon as it hit the floor, we began to hear rattling and violent pounding coming from the closet, which also happened to have a ladder up to the roof inside. The doors then swung open to reveal nothing but an empty closet. The amount of anger I felt coming from the closet made me book it out of there, my friends following suit. After we came to our senses and calmed our nerves, we decided to go check out the stairwell, which went down to the basement door. We debated whether to go into the three other rooms, but eventually decided to vote against it. So we get to the stairs and enter the stairwell. The first thing we noticed was the temperature difference in the stairwell versus the hallway. It was incredibly cold here. We began to descend the stairwell, and we stood at the bottom with the pendulum in S's hand. And like the dumb teenagers we were, we decided that asking more questions was a good idea. We asked once again, is there someone there? The pendulum swung once more, signaling yes. We asked, are you angry? We held our breaths in anticipation and the pendulum swung again, another yes. Are you going to hurt us? we asked. Yet again, a yes. That's when the lights flickered, went out for a moment, only to come back on. I fell back towards the wall, felt as if I was pinned there. I couldn't breathe. It felt as if there was a heavy weight on my chest, one that only increased with every passing second. I looked at A and S, and they looked terrified, too. They were frozen like I was. Suddenly, I felt lightheaded, and as if I was going to pass out. S was panting as the pressure on our chests began to increase more. <laughs> we need to go. Now. A stammered. Once she said this, the pressure decreased enough to where we could move. We then hightailed it up the stairs and out of that corner. When we got back to the room we first were in before we went to investigate, no one was there. Everybody was already in the youth room waiting for the lesson to start. 
we decided we would not be going back into that area of the church, not even with a smudge stick. Ever since then, I have not gone back to that hallway, and I never will, because there's something there that's extremely mad, and it doesn't want any visitors. A Normal Day from Yomi I live in Illinois, and I've been living there all my life. I've never seen anything weird, just bumps in the night and creepy shadows on occasion, things that can be easily explained away. But nothing compares to what I saw October 10th of 2019. It was a cold, windy day, and I had just gotten done with all my work. I was ready to relax for the night. I got up from my office desk and went downstairs to my basement to see what was on TV. Nothing special, just some cartoons, college basketball, and other sporty channels. That wasn't exactly to my tastes at the moment, so I decided to get some fresh air instead. I ran upstairs and grabbed my light jacket, slipping on a pair of my jogging shoes that my mom had just bought me the prior day. I opened up the back door to my house and began my path towards the park. The library isn't far away, but it has some large areas between it, such as a small tunnel where a train can go over, and an arch going over a central road street where people can walk over. But I was taking the path where the small tunnel was. I've never been scared of the tunnel since it was around 30 feet wide, but I've been scared of rats or homeless people jumping me there, so I took my time going in. Now, I'd usually walk over the bumpy road through a patch of grass on the sidewalk, then chat with a few people walking their dogs as they walked by. But that day, everything was quiet. No birds chirping and nobody out. That was odd enough. I got over to the bridge and I could hear the drops of waters from the ceiling, along with the splashing of wild mice jumping here and there. Before I went in, I checked for other people and turned my head, looking both left and right. Then I scanned the tunnel for any shapes I might recognize, like a person, or especially large rats. I gasped when I thought I saw a pair of legs standing there. I looked up and saw a torso, but I did not see a head. There was a person inside the tunnel, that much I was sure of. They were really tall and had a dirty outfit that looked like it hadn't been washed for 20 years. I didn't want to take a chance of getting jumped, so I turned around and walked back home. Later that week, around October 14th, I was curious on how high the bridge is, seeing that the person that I saw there was awfully tall. As I said before, I could not see his head, so he was taller than the entrance of the tunnel. I was horrified to discover that the tunnel itself was twelve feet tall. Maybe I saw the world's tallest man. Or maybe it was something else. Maybe avoiding that tunnel from now on is my best option. Old H.P. Lovecraft would be proud of you, enduring these stories of the unknown and the terrifying, all while maintaining your sanity. Oh, you're already crazy. That's what I thought. But don't worry, your secret is safe with me, you psycho. 
Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have a scary story of your own, and you want to have a chance to have it narrated, share it with us at darkstories.org. If you want to support the show, check the links below. There's a link to my Patreon, and a link to my merch store. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous episode, about three scary stories from 4chan. Crimson Carson says, you should do scary Christmas stories. Heck yeah, and if you guys have any scary Christmas stories, be sure to send it to me at darkstories.org so I can narrate it. Maybe that should be my next video. We'll see, I'm pretty bad with timing, so I'm not making any promises just yet. Jimin290 says, I hope something here will actually scare me. If you want to be scared, just go to bed and remember all the times you were awkward. All those high fives that were actually handshakes that you missed. Ugh, I'm getting chills right now. Sir Bindi says, This world is a strange one. Anyone remember that? No need to remember, because I still see it, and I don't know why people think I don't. And a lot of people have been asking me to use the old music I used to use. Well, I kinda can't at the moment. Turns out if for any reason I can never afford to renew my subscription with the place that owns that music, I lose the license retroactively, so I can technically still use it. But if I ever lose that license because I can't afford it, then all the hundreds of videos I've used that song in will be gone, and I'd rather avoid that. Colin Mellon says, Today is my birthday, and you uploading is the best present. Thank you. Well, I hope you made it a really good and happy birthday for yourself. Everyone young and old should always celebrate a birthday. Being an adult with no money is no excuse. Get out there and have a good time. And WV Big Cat says, Hello from West Virginia. Making fudge and getting scared. Fudge is delicious. I happen to make it after getting scared, if you know what I mean. Gross. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry, because more scary stories are on the way soon. So stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They are some amazing supporters. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one. If Santa Claus says ho ho ho, what does Krampus say? Welcome back to Darkness Prevails. Today I've got some reasons for the season. Five reasons to lock your doors and turn on all the lights throughout the holidays. These are five allegedly true and terrifying Christmas stories. I hope you all enjoyed this episode, and despite all the creeps and scares we do here, here's to having a holiday season that is safe and fun. Remember, if you have a scary story of your own, share it with us at darkstories.org. The Shoe Shoe Wisp from Darren During the Christmas holiday of 2017, I had to work. Considering I was in the middle of a bit of a family feud, I didn't have anyone to visit and therefore welcomed the idea of working for triple time pay instead. 
I worked for a national park service in the Midwest. No, I wasn't a ranger. I was more like a groundskeeper. My primary duties included picking up trash, maintaining decorative plants along pathways and walkways, cutting down dangerous trees or branches, etc. If the woods needed maintaining or cleaning up, it was my job. Now, the national park I worked at got particularly busy around holidays, but would always be empty on the holidays themselves. Basically, this meant trash would be at its highest point just before everyone left for home to spend time with their families. That year was no exception, and as I walked outside alone into a light flurry that evening, I began my hours-long onslaught of picking up other people's refuse. I started at 2 p.m., and by 5.05 p.m., it was dark out. By then, I'd finally cleaned up the primary walkways around the souvenir shop and the visitor hub. I packed in my tools and headed back to the employee building as the wind picked up. I couldn't help but be reminded of how bizarre it was that that time of year it would be pitch black by five. The early dark was a bit creepier than normal darkness, if you ask me. I jumped when my phone rang. I pulled it from my pocket and read the caller ID. Uh, it was my boss. I cleared my throat and swiped the green icon, then spoke. Hello? I winced when I realized how tired I sounded. Darren, it's Bev. We're gonna need a tree cut down along the hiking trail leading into the northeast campgrounds. Things about to fall down. Don't want it to crush any visitors. Nope. I agreed. Inwardly, I was a little irritated. Depending on the thickness of the tree, it could be a monumental task. And I was scheduled to clock out by 8 p.m. Hey... I had nowhere to go that day, sure, but I didn't want to work all night in the freezing cold dark cutting down some tree alone. Get that done ASAP. Probably no campers tonight, but I don't want to risk it. Good night, and uh, Merry Christmas. She then hung up. I tucked my phone back in my pocket and entered the employee building, putting back my wool gloves and a box of extra trash bags, exchanging them for heavy-duty rubber gloves some orange tape, and the biggest saw I could find. Then I took off on the walkway leading to the campgrounds. The campgrounds were northeast of the building and lie deep in the woods, so the walk took me about 15 or 20 minutes. Once there, the hiking trail starts at the east of the campgrounds. This was another 10 minutes of walking. At first, I wasn't sure there was actually a dead tree on the trail. My boss may have been wrong about where it was located, but eventually I found it. An old pine tree, decrepit and crumbling. It was no longer that healthy, woods-brown color. Instead, the trunk was gray. Yep, looked like this thing could fall at any time. And unfortunately for me, the sucker was about 44 inches around. Pretty thick for something I was going to have to cut down by hand. With a sigh, I began to tape off the trail so that no one could hike beyond that point. I would be angling the tree to fall onto the trail itself as that was the direction it was hanging anyway. In fact, having it fall in any other direction would have been difficult or impossible. I took out my saw and got to work. But first, I laid the lantern down about ten yards away or so, pointing at me. Those things were extremely bright, so it had to be pretty far back or it would have blinded me. As I saw it at the trunk of the tree, I was quickly getting winded. And speaking of wind, it was picking up even more making the tree strain a bit. Wouldn't it be nice, I thought, 
if the dang thing just snapped and got it over with. I sat down for a while after sawing for about half an hour. I was already sore, not to mention I hadn't seen hide nor hair of another person since noon, so I was sure no one would be venturing through here. I was taking a break, sipping on a tin of coffee that had already gone cold. Gross, but it kept me energized. As I screwed the cap back on the coffee tin, I froze, and my eyes widened. A strange sound blew along the air, coming from further up the trail. I wanted to encourage myself that it was just the wind, nothing to worry about. But this didn't sound like wind. It sounded like a moan, long-winded and deep, coming from some sort of animal. Because I'd be damned if that sound was coming from a human being. What the heck was it? I'd worked in the woods for a few years now, and I'd never heard a sound like that. And as the sound grew louder, the wind itself seemed to grow stronger. The trees around me were bending and creaking, slapping against each other and straining under their own weight. It continued. As confused as I was, my interest was beyond peaked. I was curious and was not ready to go back to sawing that tree. So I picked up my lantern, pointed it up the trail, ducked under the tape, and began to walk along the path. With each step I took, each turn that I rounded, the shoo-shoo sound swelled. I walked for about a hundred yards up that trail, until the shoo-shoo sound stopped, and the wind died down completely. It was quite disturbing when the wind stopped in a split moment, causing the strained and bending trees to stand upright again, all at once, all around me, as if they had become conscious and aware of me. I stopped as well, but not because of the wind and noise dying down, but because of the tree that stood in the middle of the trail. Right dang in the middle of it, a thin and frail tree. This freaked me out. If this tree had been here before, I would have heard about it. I would have been made to cut it down ages ago. I took a step forward and shuddered, because I swear I saw the tree shake. Another step forward, and I heard a single shoo. I swallowed hard. That sound... I was certain it was coming from that tree. With another step, my lantern better illuminated its form. What I thought was a tree trunk suddenly lifted itself off the ground and joined another stump-looking form. These two things weren't stumps at all. They were legs, tall, extremely thin, and covered in ridges that resembled bark. I couldn't breathe but I managed to lift the lantern and angle it upwards, revealing more of this non-tree creature. Its entire body was covered in these fake bark ridges. It was a gray-brown color. It had two legs, two arms, a torso, and a neck that went up and crooked back down like an oblong checkmark. Every single inch of the creature, appendages, neck, head, and body alike, 
They were all the same thickness and were entirely featureless, like some sort of seven-inch thick stick figure made of wood. The sound protruded from what I thought was the top of its wooden, featureless head. I watched this massively tall thing take way too slow steps and disappeared into the woods to my right. As soon as its steps became a distant echo, I tripped, gathered myself, and ran for my life, panting like an idiot. I ran past the tape and made for my car back at the employee building. I drove home letting Bev, my boss, know that I wasn't able to take the tree down by hand and would need some help with it. I didn't tell her that I went home early. I was planning on telling her that I just forgot to clock out that night. I worked there for another year or so, then transferred to a different park where I've yet to encounter anything sinister or unexplained. I like it that way. Normal. Normal is good and boring and exactly how I want it. Screw that thing I saw. Made me question everything. Made no sense at all. I wasn't ever able to bring myself to tell my friends this story. I mean, had I seen Bigfoot or a ghost, I would have told them in a heartbeat. Those are far more believable. As for that tree-creature thing, I don't want to see it again. Even if it's not dangerous. But who knows? They're Still Here From Arya Jaeger It was around Christmas of 2009, maybe 2010. On Christmas Day, some family was having a little get-together. My great-uncle David had bought a new house. This house was an hour and a half from our old house. He decided that that year he would host the party, so as to show off his newly acquired home, as well as his new wife. So we made the long ride there on somewhat clear roads, but when we got to the house, it looked normal. Just a cozy little place out in the woods with a very serene view. We went inside and were greeted with the sickly sweet family holiday greeting. A few of my cousins were there as well. My younger brother and myself said hi, making friendly chatter with our cousins, not long after deciding to play hide-and-seek downstairs with them. Before we went off, Great Uncle David warned us to be careful around the new unfinished portion of the place. Of course, we agreed. When we went down the carpeted stairs to the almost fully finished basement, we looked around, admiring the place. Half of it was carpeted. There was a sliding glass door leading outside to the backyard. The walls were painted. It had a nice stone fireplace. Basically, the works. Now, because the place wasn't entirely finished, there was some sealed plastic on the sliding glass door and on any other cracked areas. This kept out cold air and particles, sealing the warmth inside. The first half was warm and cozy, but the other half was just bare concrete, wood, and insulation. The hall looked like a skeleton with a bare wood frame. Obviously, they meant to put in a bathroom, because there was a toilet in one of the square room frames that wasn't hooked up yet. At the end of the hallway was a heavy oak door, and on the other side was a large desk and chair. Despite the door, we could see past it, 
There were no walls on either side of it. It was just a wood frame and a door in its place. It was more of an aesthetic divider for the time being. One of my cousins decides to be it, so as she turned and counted, we all went to hide throughout the basement. The other cousin hid somewhere behind the sectional couch. My brother hid behind the toilet. A bad choice. As for me, I went in between the wood framing, hiding under the large desk in the room at the end of the hall. Then my cousin who was it announced the phrase, Ready or not, here I come, initiating the search and chase portion of the game. It didn't take long for her to find the other cousin. Then after three more minutes, they found my brother. But as they continued to look around, they were having trouble finding me. We had a rule with our game. We weren't allowed to tell the seeker where the other people were hiding if we were found. So, my cousin, who was it, deducted aloud that she didn't hear the door close, so I couldn't be by the desk. But before they could go upstairs to search for me, I revealed myself. They came over into the room I was in, and we checked out the desk anyway. I asked her if David bought it, to which my cousin said no. She then told us that she heard David already talking to my grandpa about it. Apparently, they bought the house real cheap, and it even came with a lot of leftover furniture that was left behind by the previous owner. They sold most of the stuff, but kept this desk because it was very nice. Mahogany desks are quite good-looking, I think. All the renovation that was going on downstairs was already started, but David and his wife planned to finish it. Either way, it was cool, and we decided to move on upstairs to play some video games, accidentally leaving the door open. As we neared the end of the wood frame hall, we all suddenly felt freezing cold. As I mentioned before, the room was toasty and sealed, deliberately. There was no way it should be this cold in here. The hair on my arms and neck stood on end, and I felt as if someone was watching me. My girl cousin turned around, and after a moment of pause, she told us to look behind us. We turned back to the door. Remember what I said about that door. The door was only a doorway, so you could see beyond it from either side. Well, as we looked back at the door, it somehow began to slowly move on its own. It moved a good few inches before it stopped. I remember looking back at my brother, and then back to the door. That's when the door swung shut and slammed so hard it shook the frame, nearly breaking it. I nearly jumped out of my skin as all of us booked it back upstairs. When we made it upstairs, everyone was staring. Our parents asked us what was wrong and why we were slamming doors. My girl cousin was crying and tried to explain what happened. That's when I simply said that the door slammed on its own, that we were in the hall and watched it ourselves. David and his wife looked worried, then pulled our parents aside. While the four of us tried to listen to David's older brother, telling us funny jokes, he seemed to be trying to comfort and distract us. But I was watching our parents talk with David. I saw my girl cousin's mom looking shocked and put a hand over her mouth like she just witnessed an accident. That cousin and I discussed that it was probably bad if she reacted like that. After that experience, time went on. 
we all tried to forget about the odd experience. But on another occasion, while we were in the car, my grandpa looked in the rearview mirror at my brother and I. Seemingly out of nowhere, he asked us if we wanted to know what he, my girl cousin's parents, and David discussed that night. Immediately reminded of the event, I quickly nodded, and what he said was this. The reason why David and his wife got the house was because they could not afford their old one. When they found this house in the market, it was a steal. They bought it from the bank because the owner had killed himself in it. He hung himself in the basement, right in that very room above the desk. A couple of years after this, we found out that David and his wife sold the house, leaving that desk behind. Turns out they too had some very weird experiences there and were terrified. They bought themselves a small shack in the country, and they were doing fine for a while. All in all, I guess it pays to do some research about the place you're going to buy before you get stuck in some sort of haunted nightmare. Never take things from old houses. From Papa. The house that my dad and his sisters grew up in stood in the center of a very large property, and it was owned by his parents and their parents before him. The house was big and old. Even the furniture that came with the place was old, but it was beautiful Victorian-style furniture. I remember the place vividly. My brother and I grew up in it. We would spend Christmas holidays with Dad's family every winter. I only have fond memories of the place. There was this one bed in my parents' room that was huge and gorgeous. It had these elaborate carvings in the wood and mirrors along the headrest with drawers on each side. Just by looking at it, you could tell the bed was ancient. So after my dad's parents passed away, the property underwent many years of dispute between my dad and his relatives. As a result, it was uninhabited for many years. One year around Christmas, my cousin had newly constructed her house not far from the property. She asked my dad's sister if she could borrow the bed for some time while she waited for her new bed to arrive. My aunt agreed, and my cousin took the bed to her place. That night, while she lay in the bed, trying to fall asleep, she heard a knock-knock sound, which woke her up. A few moments later, there it was again. At first, she thought that it might have been a rat or some bugs chewing on the bed frame, so she didn't really react to it. When the knocking came around again, this time more fierce, she was so frightened that she ran out of the room and called her father. Her father came over to the house to give her company, as it was just my cousin in her new home at the time. Her father said that he would spend the night with her, and that she didn't have to be scared anymore. They both went to sleep on that same bed, but the knocking came again not too long after. It was very loud and aggressive. Both my cousin and her dad were so scared. They left the house and only returned in the morning, quickly taking that bed out and bringing it back to the old home. My aunt shared this story with me, telling me that that 
Furniture and other things do not like to be separated from old homes, so it's best to just not disturb them. My ex-stepdad's house, from Anonymous. Back in my hometown, when I lived with my ex-stepdad, he and my mom were still married back then. I believe the house we lived in was built on land that was once a quarantine zone. As we had a lot of experiences of the paranormal variety there, these occurrences included anything from shadow figures to whispering and even things being moved from where you put them. This is a compilation of the experiences my family and I have had that we could recall. One day, my mom was taking a nap in her king-sized bed. This was about four or so feet off the ground and fairly difficult for any small person to climb up on. She woke up when she felt something moving around at the foot of the bed. She told me that it felt like a small child or an animal trying to crawl up into the bed. There were no small children in the house at the time, and the only animals we had were a toy poodle that was too old to jump and a teacup Maltese puppy, both of which were also too small to jump up there onto the bed without human assistance. On another occasion, my sister had been sitting on one of the couches in the living room while I was still sleeping in my room down an L-shaped hallway. She said that she saw something white and about the height of our mother walking from my mom and stepdad's room down the hallway before turning the corner and walking down to the end of the hall. She turned her head just as the figure turned the corner, so she didn't get a great look at it. She shrugged and assumed our mom was going to check on me after taking a shower and putting on a white robe. But maybe a minute after that, our mother actually came through the kitchen door opposite the hallway. So that couldn't have been her. Something happened to my stepdad one Christmas. He had been getting out the Christmas decorations and was climbing up a ladder to get to the roof. When he looked up, he saw a white winged figure sitting on top of the house. When he looked directly at it, it looked over at him for a moment, before disappearing in a splash of light. Around the same time one night, I was reading a book and ended up falling asleep deeply. After maybe a few minutes, though, I woke up to find my bed shaking violently side to side. When I told my mom the next day, she said that it may have been a small earthquake. But when it happened, I looked at my dresser and saw that the only thing that was moving in my room was my bed. I believe this may have something to do with my sister's experience. You see, my sister used to dream of this pair of twin children about 10 or 11 years old in age. This was pretty coincidental considering my sister and I are twins too. In her dreams, these twins appear with bright red hair and were always wearing the same clothes. The girl would be wearing a little dress and the boy wore overalls with a frog or toad in the pocket. In her dreams, the boy would always be hiding and the girl would keep trying to get my sister to find him. These are really the most notable experiences we've had. We would also hear static and whispers at night, as if a TV was on in another room, only to see that everything was off for the night the next morning. Not to mention small objects would go missing for a while, 
only to be found where we'd already searched for them. Things went bump in the night, and I got used to them. The Glowing White Eyes From Anonymous I truly do believe in the paranormal. I believe my house is haunted, and that there are other beings on this earth. This is why I'm not too scared when weird things go down. I've come to terms with it now, especially after seeing and feeling strange things in the middle of the night. One Christmas, I'd been trying to find my Christmas stocking that I'd had since I was six years old. Not even thinking about it, I ran my fingers through my hair, and I instantly noticed that I felt rather greasy. So I went to my older sister's bathroom, getting ready to have a bath and wash my hair. I was listening to music and turning on the hot water when I heard a faint tapping sound. I listened for a moment, but then passed it off as the pipes shifting in the walls from the heat of the water. Then it happened again. I then looked over to the window and saw two white glowing spots outside the bathroom window. Immediately, my blood ran cold. I called out to my sister to check that she was still there. What do you want? I heard her grumpy voice shout. She hadn't left her room yet. I looked back to the window and the eyes were still staring. I couldn't believe what I was looking at. Those eyes seemed to blink as well. What did they belong to? I wondered. The more I stared at them, the more details I made out. I could see the top of the thing's head and the faint outline of a smile. Suddenly, as I was about to give in and run out of the bathroom, the security light in my neighbor's driveway turned on, and I saw the head of the beast turn away. I heard a scraping of plastic, as if it was sliding down the drainpipe. I got out of the bath, and I went to my bedroom. I then went downstairs and acted normal. I've used that bathroom plenty of times prior, but never saw any eyes. There was no way that what I saw was simply light from the bathroom or a reflection. There was definitely something outside my sister's bedroom, something watching and moving around through the window that night. I've even dreamt about it before, had nightmares of its wrinkly skin, deep sunken eyes and yellow teeth. I've no idea what it is. I hate the thought of this thing watching me. There's no telling what it wants. But to say the very least, I am never, ever using my sister's bathroom again. I'm just not going to risk it. Well, I hope these Christmas time stories satisfy your hankering for something scary. I'll be back soon with yet more creepy tales of spooky goodness, and hopefully some hot cocoa and beef jerky. Hmm... Just love to dip that meat into that hot cocoa. Good night. <laughs>